Welcome to MetaFay episode number one. This is the first official episode and I'm coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia on the 12th of December 2016. I am of course John LeBon and I've got with me a very special guest for this first episode, this first official episode of MetaFay. His name's Tom. He's known as the Tom Foolery of the International Space Station and he is the acclaimed producer of As the Potato Turns. So we'll be talking about his new series, As the Potato Turns, as well as a whole range of things to do with the meta aspects of Flat Earth. In particular, the psychology and sociology of the people involved in this scene and the reality TV aspect of it. Is any of this FE stuff on YouTube real? How much of it is real? And how much of it is just for entertainment? These are the kinds of things that we'll be talking about. So without further ado, Tom, I'll ask you, can you hear me? And are we coming through loud and clear? Yeah, you're coming through good. Fantastic. So what we'll do today, mate, is we'll just go through a quick introduction for yourself, and then we'll talk about how you found all of this stuff on the internet in the first place, this FE scene. We'll talk about your series, As the Potato Turns, and we'll talk about a whole bunch of topics related to this scene, such as, I said, the psychology and uh, sociology of it, uh, the marketing of it, where it's all going, some of the leaders, do they really believe what they're saying, a whole range of topics to do with this scene. And then we'll get into related topics from there. So that's a basic rundown of the show. How's that sound? Sounds good. Why don't you get us started there, Tom? Tell us a bit more about yourself. I understand that you're coming to us from Canada. Let us know a little bit about uh, who you are and where you're coming to us from and all the rest of it. Yeah, so uh, I'm from Canada, uh, British Columbia. I'm uh, 31 years old, and my trade is uh, I'm, I'm a landscaper, so turf and irrigation. And um, I guess I'm a self-confessed what you would call conspiratard. Uh, I grew up listening to uh, Coast to Coast AM. Um, we live out in the country, so um, at night, often we just have radio to listen to. So I kind of went through um, listening to conspiracies as more entertainment. Um, when iPods came along, like that was one of the best things in my life because I could actually take uh, the iPod with me to work and listen to some of these shows. And I didn't really take it that seriously for a while. It was, you know, like I say, more entertainment. And then um, kind of sort of got introduced like Alex Jones and um, his kind of went down that rabbit hole for a long time. And um, I really noticed him when he started talking about chemtrails and I watched like a chemtrail film and it, it literally scared the hell out of me and went outside the next day, could just see all these streaks all over. Um, so I basically download his show, listen every day and I kind of, me started to pay attention to how like he made me feel right um like you know if you ever listen to an alex jones show after listening to him for four hours screaming at you and yelling you know you, you kind of it's it's almost like the people you're around the most you become like you know like you're the average income of your five friends or you're the average uh, weight of your five friends so you you sort of take on that like that fear aspect you know, and, it, and you, you can sort of drive people away. And so, you know, you kind of go down this rabbit hole for a while. And I woke up to Alex Jones. 
um, there was a, a podcast. I was listening to him one day, and he said something like, uh, you know what it's like working for these psychopaths every night, going to sleep knowing that they're going to murder you one day? You know, so he kind of broke that fourth wall himself and was talking about how, like, he, he works for these people and he knows that one day they're going to kill him. So I sort of started paying attention more to what he said and kind of what he talks about and what he doesn't. And I just sort of shut off from that whole line of thinking for, for a long time. And I went down more of uh, just listening to more positive shows, more like how, how do you actually break away from the system? Um, so a lot of the uh, uh, like libertarian point of view, um, but yeah, anyway, and then um, one day I was just, I went back to Coast to Coast AM just for, for something to listen to during the day. And uh, Mark Sargent was on Coast to Coast AM. And I thought, you know, I've heard it all before. Like, what do I have to lose? And he got me thinking, but he didn't really, he didn't really have any evidence for what he was saying. He didn't really have any proofs. So I went home and I watched his clues um, and it got me thinking more, but he doesn't really have any facts to back up what he says, right? Like, I think it was about the fifth clue he finally got to the flight, which, you know, that really got me interested because you would go on flight tracker and you see that they're not tracked over certain oceans, right? And um, so that really, even just him being on Coast to Coast AM was a little bit of a setback for me because I've looked at Coast to Coast AM for a long time as just like a controlled um, mainstream narrative to, to kind of muddy the water with everything else, you know? So that's how I first got introduced to Flat Earth was uh, Mark Sargent on uh, Coast to Coast AM. So um, we'll just wind it back a little bit then. You said that you were into Alex Jones, but his uh, demeanor or his shtick uh, you found off-putting. How many years ago did you get originally get into Alex Jones? Uh, it was right around 9-11, I think. I started listening to him. So I was there sort of from the beginning of his uh, uh, kind of exposing it through his narrative. You know, like he, he sort of follows the mainstream narrative, but um, says the government did it. You know, he never, he never, he'll never talk about there are no planes or um, that the footage is faked. Okay, well, I'm not sure if you want to reveal too much uh, about your age, but for me personally, like I'm 30, roughly 30 years old now. I didn't start looking into any of this kind of stuff until uh, early university. So I'd have been about, 2007 it would have been, maybe 10 years ago now, I guess, when I first got familiar with Alex Jones. You're saying that you've been paying attention to him right since 9-11, right since the, the start, really. Yeah, I watched uh, the towers come down in the library at my school. Um, I, I seen what was going on. There was no way I was going back to class. So I skipped class and, and I watched the whole thing. And um, I was already listening to Coast to Coast and Alex Jones pops on there every once in a while, and that's kind of how I got introduced to him. At first, I just brushed him off because of the way he he comes off. He just, he, the way he yells and screams and 
it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, you know. He'll tell you 10 or 15 things to be afraid of in the span of a minute or two. And it wasn't until he started talking about chemtrails and I just went home one day and I looked it up that that kind of got me more into maybe there's some truth to some of this. Even just watching how, uh, like it's obvious politicians lie and, and steal. So it was an easy transition for me to see that they're doing these things now. So I watched a few of his documentaries like uh, A Terror Storm, Loose change, and at the time, like they made a lot of sense. Yeah, I think a lot of us got sucked into loose change. That was one of the first uh, so-called documentaries that I saw, and again, this was about two thousand seven, I think. And uh, I had a similar experience too, where at first this was very interesting to me. I never really got into Alex Jones the show. Like from the first time I saw him, I couldn't, I couldn't stand the, the. The, I couldn't stand the show. I couldn't stand his shtick. I couldn't understand. I couldn't stand the effect that it had on me uh, watching it. So I never really got too far into him. But I've heard this from a lot of people that they eventually found him off-putting and they went away for a little while. So that's what's happened with you. You were watching Alex Jones. You uh, you got over it and you kind of went away for a while. And then you're listening to Coast to Coast. And uh, was it last year? Was it maybe towards the middle of last year, Mark Sargent had his uh, debut? on coast to coast and that's where you first heard of him we'll pick it up from there so you've heard mark Sargent on coast to coast he didn't really have much evidence but he got you to go and look into flat earth further is that what happened yeah and it's it's weird the synchronicities that happened because even before this i was kind of forced to take flights back and forth from british columbia every couple months and i would notice as i go through the clouds underneath they looked flat and level, and I would always expect my flight to uh, going one way get me there quicker versus going the other way. So I was already sort of having this train of thought. Like, I never thought Earth was flat. I would just pay attention to, like, how flat the clouds looked as you're descending through the plane. You know, I always expected you'd see it sort of curve down a little bit. Um, there was that, and then was always uh, I had problems with the, the vacuum of space where that transition is and why the atmosphere doesn't just get sucked right off the earth especially if you think of the earth compared to a basketball the atmosphere is like a thin layer of paint covering the basketball and it I could never reconcile why it didn't just get zapped off uh, the earth's atmosphere so there were things that they said that that made a lot of sense. Like the NASA fakery stuff was probably their most solid uh, marketing technique. It's, uh, it's, you know, they have they have some of these proofs over here, but it's really like the NASA fakery stuff for me is what put me over the edge. So, so I watched uh, Mark Sargent's Clues, and it, first I went to uh, looking for any footage that they actually went to space, so like rocket launches. I was just looking for anything unedited that went high enough to see the curve of the Earth. And I probably looked for a couple of days and couldn't find anything. Uh, the bubbles and the hair, the ridiculous hairstyles, those kind of sealed the deal for me that what they're doing up there is just a production. 
like I had uh, I was always a Richard Hoagland fan like I bought his book Dark Mission I read it like I want a refund but uh, I'm pretty sure I threw it away but so I was always down that train of thought that NASA was faking things but they were hiding this uh, uh, alien bases on the moon sort of thing like they're co they're covering up something else instead of just saying well they're lying how how can I discern what's truth from lies and just throwing out everything they say if that makes sense yeah so uh, at the time one of the big selling points of flat earth and even to this day is their criticisms of NASA and they're very cleverly intertwined the two to the point where some of the best flat earth proofs are arguments against NASA even though the two don't necessarily go together so you're saying that one of the things that got you thinking from Mark Sargent's flat earth clues or from his interview were his criticisms of NASA were you already a skeptic or a critic of NASA or was this the first time that you'd really investigated the moon landings and this kind of thing um, I grew up, I watched the Fox documentary of the moon landings debunked. So I like, I grew up on Star Trek, probably like a lot of people. So I always had a bias for space, you know, like I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the movies, you know, the nostalgic feeling. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Cause I think a lot of people who get sucked into flat earth, they're people who haven't really spent time investigating NASA before the flat earthers tell them, Hey, look, here are the problems with NASA. Here are these international space station, uh, photos and images and, uh, videos that don't make sense. And have you ever really looked at the maths that are involved in this and all the rest of it? If you haven't been exposed to that before, then whoever comes along and gets you to start looking at it, there's a very good chance that you're going to buy whatever else it is that they're selling. So I think a lot of people who've been sucked into flat earth, they were vulnerable to it because they hadn't actually taken the time to look into the moon landings prior to people like Mark Sargent and Jerrynism pointing out the obvious problems uh, with these NASA stories. Uh, do you, would you consider yourself someone who was already uh, a disbeliever in NASA before you heard of Mark Sargent, or was it him who really got you to look into this? Yeah, I was already disbelieving because of guys like Richard Hoagland, but I thought they were just doctoring the photos and picking and choosing which photos I wanted to believe were real, kind of like everyone does, you know, like they see uh, these spires on the moon or the face on Mars, instead of just saying, well, they're lying about this, you know, in a court of law, you really can't, if you lie once, everything you say is thrown out. So I never thought to go down that road that it's just, it's all fake. I thought maybe they're mixing in fake with real. But uh, once Flat Earth came along, it really got me to look into the moon landings. And you look at, like, the lunar lander, and it looks like it was built by a, a homeless guy. Like, it doesn't look like it can go into space. So I was already skeptical of them. But after that, it just it kind of gave me almost permission for myself just to not believe anything they say. And... Uh, just their idea of space. I think for a lot of people, they have like an anxiety around space. So that was sort of the case with me. I would uh, I would try to project, you know, like my thoughts or try and just imagine the vastness of space. And 
asteroids, uh, just how everything has to work so perfectly, flying around the sun and gravity, and it would give me this feeling of anxiety where like my heart would just start pounding. It was like a real fear of death. And so when Flat Earth came along, it was almost like anxiety medicine, you know, like you're not really spinning, you're not flying through space. There are, these dangers don't exist. You know, they're all, it's all fiction. So for me, that was very relieving at the time that not to have this fear. Yeah, and I think this is this is another part of it as well. There's the element of the flat earth leaders uh, or whoever it is that's pushing flat earth that someone sees their video of. It encourages you to look at NASA and you realize that you've been deceived by NASA, not just the moon landings, but it goes so much further. So there's that element of gaining the trust of their of their audience is showing them this deception and undoing the deception, at least in theory, at least to an extent. Then there's also that more, I guess, spiritual or existential element where people like yourself and many people do have, whether it's an anxiety or some other misgiving about space, this idea of where this tiny little dot, we don't matter, it's all random, what have you. Then these people get you to question that as well. And suddenly you find it very empowering to think, hold on, there's no, there's no meteorites coming to kill us. And we're not a little dot floating around spinning on a ball in space. It's very empowering spiritually. And so that also, I think, leads people to develop a trust or to uh, build an affinity with the flat earth leaders. Would you say that's a fair sort of summation of, of some of the things that you experienced as well? Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's almost that false dichotomy. You know, you're, you come to the re realization you're not spinning, you're not flying through space. So the only other option is you have to believe in the flat earth. And I'm still on the fence. I've tried to take myself back a little bit because I don't really think I'll, I'll, I'll know or there's anything I can do right now to prove it. Because when you're looking optically out over the water, there's so many things that affect your vision that I really don't think you can tell anymore. Because I've seen, I've seen it all different ways like I've seen like I went out to uh, a bridge filmed 11 miles and I could see the bridge I went out on another day on a really uh, cloudy day overcast it wasn't too hot uh, the wind was blowing and I couldn't see the bridge I went back and um, I could see like an inversion layer where the bridge was sort of mirroring itself so it's really hard to tell optically what's going on there's so many variables that I don't think I can tell. It's I tr I'm I'm starting to think of it like if you've ever seen a, a 3D painting on a 2D surface, the the painting looks like it has all this depth, like there's an X, Y, Z axis, but it's it's painted on a 2D surface. But to your eyes, it looks like you're gonna fall through that painting. You know, like you have. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, and I'm hoping we can come back to this. Um this sort of point of, well, where do we live? What, what do we believe about where we live later in the show? But it sounds from what you're saying that at the moment, you're genuinely skeptical. You don't necessarily believe one way or the other. And I think if we look at the experience that people have when they first encounter a Mark Sargent or a Gerenism, we can start to understand why so many people do fall into a strong belief 
in flat earth as the case may be. So we've identified that they many people don't really question NASA until they see flat earth videos. That has a big effect on them. And also they don't question heliocentrism and the cosmology that we're given. And so they have these misgivings or these anxieties that the flat earth leaders have an effect on, I guess, relieving. And that also uh, leads people to a belief in the flat earth leaders and flat earth belief. You first found Mark Sargent through Coast to Coast. That was about a year or so ago. Fast forward a little bit, you're paying attention to this scene and then Patricia Steer comes along with her flat earth and other hot potatoes. Can you walk us through when you first heard of her and her shows and how much attention were you paying to them when they first hit the scene? Um, when the potatoes came along, um, I wasn't really drawn to her channel very much. Like I found it a little bit boring. Like she had, she had on. A, I think it was Mr. Mo- like I listened to her first interview with Mark because I was sort of following him. Um, once I watched the clues, I really wanted something like solid proof that the Earth was flat. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to just go on the fact that there are no movies made about the Apollo missions. So I found Eric Dubay and uh, I watched some of his stuff, and a lot of it is really convincing. But um, so I sort of I, I listened to everything I could, like I was consuming podcasts whenever I could at work, and uh, just out of the need of something to listen to, I checked out uh, Patricia and Mark's first interview. And once you've heard them talk one time, like you've pretty well listened to all 130 shows that they've done together. It's pretty well just the same recycled material. And um, I think it was when Mr. Moot came along that I just, I completely turned off their channel and I just kind of stopped paying attention to what they were doing. Um, sort of started watching what the Globebusters were doing. Um, I would still pay attention to Mark and Patricia just when they would do shows because they did have that really flirty back and forth uh, uh, attitude towards each other. And um, when the whole sex tape thing happened, that's when I I sort of, I would check in on them a little bit more. I was looking for the next time they did a show together. So uh, we'll, we'll try and keep the chronology uh, clear for the listeners. So Mr. Moot would have been, I think, late last year. He might have been maybe the in the first 10 or 20 episodes. And this Mr. Moot character was, uh, he really was a character. He got dressed up in a full body, in what looked like a full body suit, a ridiculous looking costume, the kind of thing that you would expect to see at a cosplay convention or something like this. And uh, you're saying that when you saw this particular interview that Patricia did with this Mr. Moot character, that raised some alarm bells. Yeah, I just, she just started to make everything look ridiculous. And for me, I was in it for experiments. Like, that's what I like to see. I was, I was excited about, uh, like, Jaronism's laser experiment. I, I was excited to see those things done. Like, I didn't really care to listen to a guy dressed up in a costume. Like, I don't even think I listened to the interview. I just, maybe five minutes of it and then, and then shut it off. For me, like, coming to this, it's like, I just want, I wanted some proof. Like I wanted to see something that actually proved it. And it just seemed like it was uh, like an Oprah get to know me talk show, I guess. 
Yeah, and this is a point that I've made many times, on, especially on the pilot episodes of Metafay, which I recorded a few weeks ago, and that is that there's a different context now to what there was 12 or 18 months ago. 12 to 18 months ago, there was this emphasis on experiments or observations, collecting data, testing empirically where we could some of the claims of the leading flat earth proponents, such as moonlight is cold. This was a very popular claim back then. Moonlight is cold. So a number of people all around the world with no apparent connection to each other were going out there with their cameras and getting thermometers, uh, digital thermometers, recording in their own way the temperature of water in the moonlight versus not in the moonlight, all these kinds of things, right? And it was kind of exciting because each person had their own way of doing the experiment. Like my, and I'm using the word experiment in very loose terms here. Like I just bought some uh, cheap outdoor thermometers from like a hardware store and I went down to the, the Brisbane River and I recorded uh, a very rudimentary experiment, if you like. But then there were other people who bought digital thermometers and they would uh, use buckets of water that they would place in the shade. And there was all these different takes on this kind of thing. And it was just interesting from, a, from the perspective of, look at these different people who were trying to disprove or prove, I guess, in some case, uh, this, this notion that the moonlight is cold. And that was one example of several of what people were doing back then. There was this element of people actually trying to arrive at the truth. And that's all gone now, you know, towards the end of 2016. And right, I think right this whole uh, calendar year, that has not been what this scene has been about. It's become reality television. It's become emotions. It's become friends and lovers and ex-lovers and all this kind of nonsense. It wasn't like that at the start. So I'm glad you bring up the Mr. Moot thing. He was an interview. This Mr. Moot guy might be a nice guy, but he dresses up like a complete clown and overtly uh, like just a, no one's going to take that guy seriously about anything. And he's dressed in the way that he does not want people to take him seriously. And Patricia Steer came onto the scene doing these kinds of interviews back when some people were still trying to be empirical, still trying to do experiments. Looking back now, Tom, do you think maybe there's an element of one of the main reasons why this whole scene turned into reality TV nonsense was because of that show, uh, Hot Potatoes? Well, for me, like I look at it as like, how do they, how are they marketing this show? You know, like, what are they doing to get to get viewers? And it seems like um, if they can get people to identify as a label, they're much more likely to defend the label and then buy the product. Like that's kind of um, what people do in marketing is if they can convince you to to strongly defend something, you're much more likely to buy into it and become a sales conversion. And um, the way Patricia came on the show or, or on the scene, like it seems like um, it was just like speed and surprise, you know, like she was just doing all these shows right away. She became sort of the center of, of all the other shows. They would cross promote each other. And it, it did, to me, it, it turned me off quite a bit because it was just, it, it turned it into a spectacle and I'm, like, if I want, if I'm going to identify as something and defend it as a label, you know, I want, I don't want to be associated with these people. Yeah. So towards the end of 2015, then she has established herself. Like you said, she's not just doing her show. She's also at the center of all of these other shows. 
Uh, you know, she's got this relationship going on with uh, Mark Sargent, who had already established himself through the Flat Earth Clues. She's going on shows like Globebusters, who were increasing their audience share at the time. Uh, obviously, she's done a couple of interviews with people like Nathan Oakley and Martin Liebke and maybe some of these other peripheral sorts of people as well. And before long, she's become the centerpiece of the entire scene, really, in some ways. We move into early 2016, and then there is, as you've already intimated, this sex tape scandal. Most of the listeners will know what we're talking about. But basically, there was an incident where there was uh, a couple of live live get-togethers where flat earthers around the world were apparently getting together to have some food and to talk about flat earth and all the rest of it. And after one of these events, Mark Sargent and uh, a well-known uh, lady flat earther in the scene, Orphan Red, have apparently been involved in some shenanigans. Do you want to take us back to that time, Tom, and tell us when you first heard of this uh, sex tape story and what your initial response was? I might be a little bit different than some of the other uh, YouTubers that are in this. I don't really participate in the chats, so I had no idea. Like, if you're in their chat shows every day, you really get caught up on the gossip. So I just, I remember logging into YouTube one day, and it was the question mark show. And I, I was like, question about what? Like, who, like, you know, so I listened to their show maybe for about 20 minutes. And I was just trying to figure out what was going on. Eventually, I found out it was, uh, I guess he did a sex tape as a promotional video, which is kind of confusing because, like they admit themselves, the only people they would draw in are people that are already flat earthers. So it didn't make really a whole lot of sense to me, and it, it, it sort of just further was waking me up to, to something's going on here, the way that they were flirting back and forth, and now he has this sex tape, which, you know, she seemed upset. It seemed like they were together when, when they're not together. Like, it was confusing to me why she was so upset. Um, at the time, I didn't even listen to their whole show. I just, once I found out what was going on, like, I wasn't interested in drama. Like I say, like I was there for the experiment, so I, I, but I did pay attention. I was interested to the next time. When was the next time they actually did a show together? Like when would they start their secret show again? And that's when I really started to think that maybe this is a reality show. Um, like the next time they got together was the time was when she announced her engagement to Antonio. She had Mark on the show for the first time, which seems a little bit off to me, you know? Yep. Yeah, so with this um, sex tape that, of course, had no sex, and, um, you know, most of the people listening to this live right now, they remember all of this well, but for the benefit of uh, archive listeners or what have you, the actual so-called sex tape contained zero sex. It did involve some some weird shenanigans, um, Mark was uh, on the floor on the hands and knees and one of the girls in the tape were on his back and he wasn't wearing a shirt for a lot of the tape. And it was a very weird thing. It was a very odd thing to see, but it wasn't a sex tape in the traditional sense of a sex tape. And even the details as to how it was released originally seemed a bit weird. It was listed as a, a YouTube unlisted video. So it was accessible to anyone who had the link. So Whoever was uploading this video didn't really seem to want to keep it private. And uh, all of the circumstances surrounding this seemed very suspect. And what you're saying, Tom, is that for you, it was around about this time 
that you started to seriously consider the possibility that these people are not here for uh, experiments or for the truth. They're here to build an audience based around the flat earth, basically like a reality TV show. Yeah, and uh, there were some other things like around this time I discovered like some of them, like Dave promotes like drinking your own urine and using it to heal yourself, which just seems really like just seems far out to me. But I think uh, I remember the time on a YouTube comment, you know, I said, you know, go check out uh, Dave Murphy's interview. And someone said back to me, like, what, the guy who drinks his own piss? And that was the last time I ever tried to use him as a source for anything. Because it just, it, it's starting to look like, like it, it looks like a reality show. It look, just looks like a bunch of clowns. You know, drinking turpentine yeah. and drinking your own piss. And, and I don't know, they just go off. Like they try and associate themselves with real topics because they, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Yeah, I mean, the, the drinking your own piss thing, that was first promoted on uh, Patricia's show by Dee Murphy, 25, who, of course, was also the very first guest on the Baller Skeptic Roundtable, which was the show that I hosted uh, many months prior to Patricia even appearing on the scene. So you've got her speaking to people. Once she starts doing her live show, you've got her speaking to people who we've either never heard of or people who we have heard of, but speaking to them about some more abstract and seemingly uh, comical aspects such as the urine therapy or what have you, and more or less turning the whole thing into a clown show. They've come to this period where they're doing this sex tape. This sex tape comes out and Mark is basically banished from Patricia's show. And uh, before long, everything goes on just like normal. We'll pick it up from there then. At the time, you weren't taking part in the live chats, but you were still tuning in for what, maybe one or two, three shows a week? What, what would you say was your general uh, content consumption of people in this scene at the time? Um, I would listen to generally maybe Globebusters show at work. And other than that, I didn't really consume many flat earth shows. Um, I would listen to a few different podcasts like Sofa King. Um, there's a few other ones I like that I listened to at work. I was listening to uh, David Weiss's uh, Deep Inside the Rabbit Hole. That was a uh, show that I would consume every week that I'd listen to. And I think it's right around this time, too, that No Forest on Flat Earth came out. And that's kind of the thing that shut me down from a lot of these people. and just starting to think, like, you're trying to prove the Earth is flat, but then you bring all these other topics to the table that you can't even prove that you have, you, you have no proof for, like it's, it's a cool idea, but you're trying, you're, you want to debate Neil deGrasse Tyson, but you guys have all these crazy things you're talking about. Like it's so easy to make you all, to make them all look silly. Well, let's give the context to the listeners then. There are no trees on flat earth. That was, I was down in Melbourne at the time, but it wasn't this Melbourne stint, it was a previous one. So I'm thinking that might have been around about uh, July or August. And what happened was all of a sudden, out of the blue, there are all of these videos talking about how uh, mountains and things like this are not really mountains, they're actually tree stumps. They're the stumps of gigantic trees. And somehow this is related to flat earth 
and somehow some of the leading flat earth proponents are promoting this no trees on flat earth meme. It was a meme, basically. If you understand memetics, uh, people like Dawkins and what he talks about, the idea of spread of information and ideas, this was a meme that they were trying to spread. Now, it didn't end up going too far. I think it all burnt out within a week or two. But when you first started seeing this no trees on flat earth nonsense, your first reaction was to think that this was part of the same shit show that these people had been running for some time. Yeah, and just it was starting to get to me too, watching people say things that um, they never go back and correct themselves for. Like, I think Eric Dubay still says that there is no southern star rotation. And for me, that was uh, something that I always had difficulty with, trying to understand how that worked. Like, I, I watched his video on perspective. And things like that just, they didn't really make sense. And kind of as we move along, we see there's, they keep making these claims that if you just go out yourself and just do a quick check, it usually shows they're wrong. Like, uh, there's that epic Earth-Moon transit um, that a lot of the flat earthers were talking about that uh, it look, it, it's fake, it looks like it does look fake, but they got the perspective of the Earth and the Moon right, but they'll, uh, they kind of show these memes where the Earth is covering the entire sky of the Moon, and it's just not a proper perspective. Like, if you just go out and you replicate their size and their scale, you'll see, like, they got it right. But I still see a lot of people going around um, using that picture and saying, like, look at how ridiculous this looks. It would take up the whole sky when this comes from a lot of the leading flat earthers. Like, they're, they never correct themselves, and they never really, really check check their work, right? And then people like me who you know I'm a recovering conspiratard, like I don't I don't necessarily check everything you say because it would be nice just to be able to kind of get this information, you know, because you're busy, you don't have the time, a lot of people don't have the time to research these topics in depth. And it's sometimes you just you repeat things people these people say without checking for it yourself. And you end up looking stupid in the end. And that's kind of what I I realized is like, you really need to fact check everything these people are saying. And you can't just retweet and re-parrot everything they say. Well, it sounds like the no trees on flat earth thing was the last straw for you. But that was around about the same time as the Antonio Subarat's daytime, nighttime video. And, of course, Superats at the time was supposedly engaged to Patricia Steer and they were going to get married and they were going to have a flat earth marriage or something like this. And then all of a sudden it's released, again, released somehow, a video, a music video where Antonio was the star and it was a pretty well-produced video, especially for this scene standards. It was professional in a way and it has uh, Antonio basically singing a gay pop anthem. Uh, do you want to tell us when you first saw that video and what your first reactions were to that? I uh, I only just learned about that the other day from Martin Leakey's, uh video that he did, saying that Antonio released it himself. So I'm I'm not really up on everything that happened there, but it it was suspicious to me. Like the same time they announced their engagement, they have Mark 
um, on the show. Like, I didn't really pay attention to what happened in between them announcing their engagement and when they broke up. I know, I like, I never tuned into them. I just, I just wasn't interested, and I would only, I was kind of looking for the events like when they did a show together, and when they stopped doing a show together. So as soon as she moved back, was when I uh, decided to do the as the potato turns. She moved back, and the very first show she does, the secret show, was with Mark again. And it was almost like this reboot. And um, so since then, I've kind of been hanging out in a few different chats, just trying to catch up on all the, the gossip, the, the, the things that you don't really hear about unless you're really paying attention every day. And, well, that, uh, makes for a perfect, uh, that makes for a perfect segue into your series as the potato turns. Of course, we are recording and broadcasting this show live in the live chat. Richard Clark has just tuned in. He says, um, who is the guest for today? Of course, our guest is the Tom Fuller of the International Space Station who produced the series. It's up to six or seven videos now. You can correct me if I'm wrong there as the potato turns. So we might as well get straight into that. And I will say to the live chat, I will be reading out some of your questions and comments later in the show. But first, I want to give you a chance now, Tom, to explain to us your series, As the Potato Turns. When did you first think of the concept for it? And uh, walk us through the production of the show. Tell us more about how it all came to be. Um, well, I, I was, like I say, when, I, when they announced their engagement on the same show they had Mark back for the first time, like I, I, I knew something was up because they don't even seem like they're a couple. Antonio's, he's chain smoking all the time. He sits in front of his computer. He doesn't seem like he's the, he doesn't seem like he's really someone who Patricia would date. So when they first got together, I, I immediately thought, well, is, is he going to, is there going to be this um, kind of narrative of change your diet, change your health, uh, work out more, stop smoking? Because I know for, for non-smokers, like it's tough to have someone sitting in a closed room smoke like chain smoking cigarettes. Like it can be a cause for tension. So I didn't think they were gonna last just for that reason. And um, so they so yeah, I didn't really pay attention to their what was going on in between their breakup until um, Mark came back on the scene with Patricia and a, a YouTube commenter just made a, said to me, you know, like it was really hard for me to find your videos. Like they bury people really deep. They only promote like the shills and it kind of just gave me what I needed to, to make these videos. Cause I didn't want to offend anybody. Like, um, like I don't really participate in the chats, but I, I sort of would had, I don't know, me and Dave Weiss, we weren't really friends, but I would send him the odd message. Um, I had him on, I talked to him on Skype one time. So I didn't want to like offend him really, basically. And the other people I didn't really know on any type of level. So I wasn't too worried about it, but that really gave me the courage to go ahead and make the series. And uh, originally I had, uh, it was maybe, I wanted it to just be two and a half minutes, but when I started working on it, I realized no one's going to watch like a 30 minute episode. So I had all the footage and I just released the, the very first episode. And that's when you made your comment and you kind of gave me the encouragement just to like, I spent uh, my two days off working on it. I banged out, I think it was four or five episodes in the two days. 
And it was just, uh, it was encouragement for me getting the response. I thought I was going to get a lot of hate, but it seemed like uh, people really actually enjoy it. Like I gave a lot of people a lot of laughs. And for me, that felt a lot better than arguing with people about what shape the earth is. You know, like it gave, it made me feel a lot better. Yeah, I think it made anyone who watched it feel a lot better as well because it's very easy for people to get sucked so far into this scene and, and scenes like it that this is going to change the world, it's going to bring down the establishment and it's very important that everybody uh, sticks to the same script and if there's someone here who is not like us, maybe they're, a, maybe they're a shill and we have to attack them and they all take it very seriously and so when someone comes along with a video that just pokes fun at it and has a bit of a laugh, I think that can be good for people just to remember that they originally got into this, whether they realized it or not, for enjoyment and for entertainment. And so I think your series just reminded people not to take things too seriously because there are laughs to be had. And it was a very funny series. Can you give us an idea of some of the feedback that you've been getting from not just Flat Earth believers, but I guess Flat Earth critics as well? Can you give us an idea of the general sentiment of the feedback you've been getting for your series? To be honest, I haven't, I haven't gotten any hate messages at all besides... Uh I think someone sent a message to Dan Pratt and let him know he was featured in an episode. And uh, he got quite upset. He said a couple things, but I just kind of let it slide off. Like, if he's a real person, I I'm, I apologize. But it, I, I wanted to make this series to show people from an outsider's perspective who comes in to the flat earth or, or this whole truth awakening. It's all... It's, called, it's all been intertwined now, like Sandy Hook, Boston bombing, all these other conspiracies, they're all intertwined with Flat Earth now. So if someone comes in from the outside, from the mainstream, they're, they're going to look at this and everything's going to look ridiculous. So my idea was just to let people, in a funny way, to show them just the drama that's going on and how, like, for me now, I, I don't even think it's, I think it's probably a production. Um. Well, we'll talk, I want to talk a little bit about the, I guess, the, the leading characters and what their role really is in all of this in just a moment. But just focusing on your series and you've released a number of videos. Do you have more in the pipeline? Are you planning to make this an ongoing thing or do you feel like you've achieved what you set out to achieve? You know what? I sort of feel like I've set out to achieve what I feel like know I wanted to achieve I want to do some more videos more um, like out on the street actually talking to people like I think that's one thing that people could do is actually get out and try and affect some change and go talk to real people and you know don't just sit around in Google Hangouts all day because you're you're moving nowhere like you're you're literally going nowhere and sorry I'm a bit nervous I Forgot my train of thought. No, no that, that's all right. It's uh, doing these kind of live hangouts. I've done uh, more than 100 now. And so I just get used to being uh, on camera or behind a microphone. But I think for a lot of people, when they first get into this scene and uh, somebody invites them onto a, a live show or what have you, it can be uh, not only daunting, but I guess exhilarating. And if you look at uh, Patricia's show, one of the things that she did right from the start was invite people who at the time didn't have much of an audience or much uh, prominence in the scene onto her show and it became a, a big part of their their time here was, oh, I've been invited onto Patricia's show. I'm going to be uh, maybe not famous, but 
lots of people are going to know about me now. It's a big deal. The average person never gets much of an audience. You know, a lot of us will um, will play some sport when we're young, or we'll uh, be in a, a performance, like a, in uh, an orchestra, or maybe in a concert or a play. So for a very small period of time, we'll know what it's like to have an audience. But beyond that, most people have very little uh, people paying them attention in their day-to-day -day lives for the most part. And so these people come along to YouTube, they see a bunch of people making videos and they think, yeah, I, I believe what they believe. I'm, I'm going to do what they're doing. They make one or two videos saying that they think the earth is flat. They're a flat earther now. That's how they identify. And then they get invited onto Patricia's show. And for a lot of them, this is a big deal. This, this might not be life-changing, but it's something that means a lot to them and it's very significant to them. And so I think when people do these kinds of live hangouts and they see that it's not, not always a, a casual thing, that it's a bit of, it is a bit daunting when you first get behind the microphone, maybe they can start to understand that uh, this is what happens to a lot of people when they go on to Patricia's show. It's like this is a big deal for them. Can you see where I'm going with this, Tom? Like if we look at the effect that Patricia has had on maybe dozens of people's lives by inviting them onto, onto her show, that it, for a lot of them, from that point forward, they, they're going to respect and admire and defend Patricia no matter what happens. Can you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it's, I think it's part of their sales strategy, you know, to develop that relationship with people and, you know, it positions them for, for future uh, gains, you know, just to keep those contacts up to do those, those shows every week, right? Yeah, well, I mean, what is she up to now? 120, 130 episodes. The first few episodes were with Mark Sargent and uh, people, you know, Dave Murphy. Uh, the well, uh, his name escapes me, but he was on he was on Baller Skeptic as well. But um, she had a few of these more prominent people on the show. But before long, she was inviting people who really, for the most part, had no audience or significant content at all. And that was a large way of building up, I guess, her credibility with. The regular viewers was hey guys if you do a video describing yourself as a flat earther you might get to be on patricia's show yeah, as well any, and you can see how can anyone can be a star exactly and even if even if uh, youtube we're talking about an audience of maybe a few hundred people on youtube it'll say that these episodes get thousands of views and a lot of people don't understand that 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 thousands of views is inflated it's not really that many people paying attention but even just getting a few hundred people to listen to what you have to say, especially on topics as abstract or fringe as these topics are, that is a truly big deal for most people. And I think it's very easy to forget that, that when Patricia came onto the scene, this was one of her big selling points was, as you said, anyone can be a star, Tom. So do you think that YouTube is pushing and promoting the views of some of these people? That's a good question. I've thought about that a few times. I'm not, I'm not sure. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who say that their first Flat Earth video was a recommended video. Like, you know, on YouTube, it has the recommended videos on the right-hand side when you log in. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that Flat Earth videos were recommended to them. Now, once you watch a video on a certain topic, however the YouTube algorithms work, they'll start recommending similar videos, right? So you, you would only have to see one video before that would come up on your recommended feed. But I've heard people speaking as though they think that before they had ever seen a Flat Earth video, it came up in the recommended feed. Now, if that is the case, then that would lead one to infer that for whatever reason, 
YouTube has been promoting flat earth videos. Now, even if that were the case, does that mean that there is a broader scheme going on here to, to push flat earth, whatever? Not necessarily, but it does make you wonder. And uh, I've spoken to people who say that, that their recommended feed was what got them into flat earth. Tom, have you heard people saying this kind of thing that it was almost like YouTube was the ones that got them into this in the first place? Yeah, I've, I've heard quite a bit that, that the videos, it's being pushed and it's being recommended. And that's something I've, I've, I've heard Mark Sargent even talk about lately and admit to um, that you could easily take that out with uh, a, a line of code that could be gone. And it, it almost makes me wonder if, like, because some of these YouTube accounts, they're worth quite a bit of money. Some of, um, some of the top YouTube accounts, if you have like a million subscribers, that account is worth quite a bit of money. And would it be worth it for uh, a group or individuals to to produce a show just for YouTube, you know, to get the subscribe to make the money? You know, like it, it almost makes me wonder, uh, like, who, who benefits from, because a lot of these leading flat earth proponents, they encourage you to go out and make a video, even if it's just you talking just your face on the camera like go out and make a video so to me it's like who benefits from people well mark Sargent goes even further doesn't he mark Sargent says even if your video is not about flat earth put flat earth in the title right yeah. and um we'll talk about the marketing in a moment mark Sargent has been doing this right from the start hasn't he giving people little tips and hints that will basically spread flat earth on youtube even quicker now, there's a, an obvious interest from his perspective in doing so as one of the more prominent flat earth promoters early in this, uh, this renaissance, if you like, since early 2015, then he stands to benefit uh, from more viewers, if nothing else, by more people looking into flat earth because his results will naturally come up higher in the searches. But is there a more uh, structured campaign going on here? Is, there more, is this more strategic and more planned out? Are there more people involved? Obviously, we don't know, but we might as well get into a discussion about that. We've gone through an introduction of yourself, Tom, and how you got into this. We've gone through a quick chronology of your time as a viewer of this Flat Earth scene on TV, on YouTube, and how it's quickly become like reality TV. You released your series, As the Potato Turns, which I'm sure most of the live viewers have already seen, but for those listening on archive, I'll provide links to that series uh, in the show notes for this episode as well. I do recommend you go and check those out. Just give the, we probably should have done this at the start of this little segment, but do you want to just give the, the listeners a quick overview before we move on, Tom, of the, the basic idea behind As the Potato Turns? If you had to describe it with a quick summation, what can people who haven't already seen the series expect to see when they watch episode one of As the Potato Turns? Oh, uh, love, laughter, heartbreak. It's all there. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's all there. It's uh, relationships forming and then falling apart. It's uh, merriment and mirth and joy, but then despair and uh, agony and pain and everything that you would expect from a reality TV show is what we've gotten from Flat Earth over the last uh, 12 months, especially the last six months. And I think you've done a really terrific job in uh, showcasing that and making a concise version instead of people having to go back and watch hours and hours of this nonsense they can just watch a few episodes of As the Potato Turns and more or less get the entire story arc of the first 18 months of Flat Earth. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, that's pretty fair. Uh, I, I tried to learn from David Weiss. You know, he says a lot, make short videos because people don't want to pay attention to long ones. 
So I started off with just two minutes to kind of grab people's attention, get them the introduction to the romance, and just build it up to the more exciting dramas. Like, if you guys haven't seen uh, the interview with Antonio, like, it's full of some of the, the some of the best quotes I've ever heard. Like, sometimes I, I'll just be driving down the road and I'll think of uh, what some of these guys have said, and it just just makes me laugh, it brings a smile to my face, you know. You can put Patricia's head on the moon. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff, and uh, I'm very appreciative of the of the time that you put in. Like you said, you spent a whole weekend to produce four or five episodes of As the Potato Turns. Content production is very time consuming, and so um, for you to do what you've done and give us all a laugh, I, uh, I for one am very thankful, and I'm sure many people in the live chat are as well. Let's uh, segue into the next topic, then, shall we? and talk more about this flat earth scene uh, more broadly, and in particular, the meta aspects of it. Now, one of the things that you seem to be particularly interested in with all of this is how they're marketing it. And if we can just say for the sake of argument that your leading flat earth proponents include people like Mark Sargent, Patricia Steer, Jeronism, uh, Bob from Low Busters, these sorts of people, if we just say that they're your leading flat earth proponents in one way or another, whether they're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, they do seem to be using some uh, clever marketing strategies and tactics. Do you want to just spend a few moments now to tell us what you've noticed about these people uh, as you've been paying attention to them? Yeah, so I'm just, I'm speculating, like I don't have any proof of this, of what I'm saying, but like it seems since Flat Earth came on the scene, you know, like if you read the different sales tactics and strategies, like I came along, I came across this one uh, article and it was talking about the five strategies to close targeted prospects, you know? And so one of the first strategies they'll use is like a frontal assault, which requires like uh, speed and surprise and size. So they hit you with like a lot of videos really quick. Um, and that's where it kind of, it seems like YouTube pushes and promotes it. So often with these like full frontal assaults on you. It requires like a lot of resources. So um, like just how Mark went on all these different shows, it seems like there is quite a bit of resource behind to push this concept, right? Um, and it, it's, it's usually the easiest way to defeat too because they come out uh, so strong and so fast that a lot of their arguments, when you kind of take a step back and you look at them, they all sort of start to fall apart. So that's, to me, it seems like that was their first tactic, was just like Flat Earth came out really fast and really heavy uh, right away. Um, and like, I don't know, what do you think about Eric Dubay? Like he, he, uh, he seems to be getting a lot of airtime on the Joe Rogan show. And to me, if, they, if, they, if Flat Earth was the truth and they really wanted to keep it secret, I don't think Joe Rogan would spend as much time as he does with Eric seems like that's almost promotion in itself, you know? Yeah, the Eric Dubay one for me is, I guess, the more, I don't want to say difficult one, but I guess personally the frustrating one because when I first started looking into all of this, my logic was I'll treat this the way I treat any topic. I will go and do the research. I'll go and read the arguments for and against. I'll, uh, I'll take the time that it takes to look into this properly, not just to watch videos, but read books, which a lot of people don't do and they openly admit they don't read books. They don't think they need to. They can do all their research by watching YouTube videos. 
And Eric Dupay had released his book, The Flat Earth Conspiracy. So I bought a copy on PDF for $10 because somebody who I know and who I'm actually seeing later on today, he had bought the physical copy and uh, he said it was a good book. So I thought, why not? I'll buy the PDF for $10. And it's a very enjoyable book to read. It's very interesting. Not all of it uh, is necessarily uh, academically rigorous, but there's a lot of stuff in there that is a good overview of the official scientism story to do with, say, heliocentrism and uh, the space missions and these sorts of things. A lot of what is in there is a very good overview of the official story. And oftentimes, if the official story is nonsense, you don't need to hear other people's um, attacks on the official story. All you need to do is understand what the official story is. And if you can think for yourself and you're willing to think for yourself, you'll see the problems right away. So that book, The Flat Earth Conspiracy, for all of its flaws, does lay out in some of its um, chapters or some of its sections a very good overview of the official story. And so I personally enjoyed that, uh, that book. And then we had Eric Dupay on my show, Bolo Skeptic Roundtable, for I think it was on episode five. I might be mistaken, but it was a very enjoyable episode. I think it was maybe two and a half hours, three hours. It started late, but uh, because we had some issues getting Eric on the show, using Skype, whatever, but it was a terrific episode. One of my favorite live shows that I've ever done. I've done more than a hundred. And to this day, that's one of my favorites. So I had many positive sentiments towards Eric Dubay uh, back in the day. These days, I'm a lot more skeptical of everybody. And as you've rightly noted, now Dubay is basically being promoted by Joe Rogan. Now, why? And it's not just his flat earth stuff, even his dinosaur skepticism. Uh, Joe Rogan gets on uh, a supposed dinosaur expert, a paleontologist or something, gets this guy on there to basically lose, lose his... No he lost it. He, he got completely triggered by Dubay. Dubay wasn't even there. And this guy got triggered by what Dubay had to say. And of course, all intelligent people, not that there's really many of us left, but all intelligent people, when we see someone getting triggered because someone disagrees with them, we think, well, that guy looks insecure. What's, what, what's the fundamental problem here that's leading him to get so upset about someone disagreeing with him? So really, all that that expert would have done is encourage the intelligent few people watching Joe Rogan's show to go and look further into Dubai. So basically, Rogan is promoting... Dubay's criticisms of dinosaurs, how is that happening? Now, obviously, Rogan is part of the establishment. You know, he says that the moon landings were real and he had Neil deGrasse Tyson on the show. So we know that Rogan isn't here to give people the truth, right? We know that. Is, does the agenda go far enough to even promote people like Dubay because he's part of the... I, I don't know. To tell you the truth, Tom, I don't know. I think about this. I don't have any solid answers. What say you? Well... I see kind of Eric today, um, he, like, what, the image that comes to mind every time I think of him is that rap video where he says, you know, he'll hail Hitler all day. And for the mainstream, uh, validation boy would call him like a normie, for a normie. So, so they see Eric Dubay uh, on the Joe Rogan show talk about dinosaurs, and then they go look into him, and they're probably... You know, they might watch a few videos, but if they stumble across his rap video with no context where he's hailing Hitler, they're, all, they're immediately going to get a negative connotation for everything he's saying. You know, so it kind of just being that open about something, whether, you know, you believe the Holocaust happened or not, when you're trying to, when you're the leader of something, 
people coming in from a total fresh perspective. If you just if you just showed that one little clip of him saying that, nobody would look into anything else he's saying. They would immediately shut off right there. And yeah, that's that's true, but. Uh, this is something that we talked about with uh, Dubay when he was on the Ballers Skeptic Roundtable. And we're probably talking maybe maybe July of last year. So the best part of 18 months ago now, and one of the points that he made, and I completely agree with him, is that the only thing that's more taboo, or one of the few things that are more taboo in our society than uh, questioning heliocentrism is questioning the six million narrative of the so-called Holocaust, right? So if anything, it's more controversial for him to talk about uh, the, the holohoax than it is to talk about uh, baller skepticism or heliocentrism skepticism, right? And then the only other topic that's, that's worse than, than those two things, in many people's eyes, is vaccinations. And, you know, in Australia, there's this thing called, uh, the, they call them anti-vaxxers, right? Anyone who doesn't want to vaccinate their children is an anti-vaxxer and they're demonized. They're very heavily demonized regularly and routinely in the mainstream media here. So as uh, Dubay pointed out on the Baller Skeptic Roundtable when he was a guest with us was people say that talking about these other topics is um, going to be uh, too controversial and it will turn people away from, from flat earth or from whatever. But as he says, all of these topics uh, are very controversial and if anything, these are the kind of people who might be willing to listen to an alternative perspective. Can you kind of see like that, that notion here, Tom, where it's like, well, if you're going to talk about a topic that's so niche and so few people will listen to, why limit yourself just to one? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Oh yeah. I understand. Like I actually discovered the hollow hopes for flat earth. So it's, it's not like I'm not disagreeing with anything he says, but it's like, he's coming from the perspective of, these terrible things never really happen. But just to an outsider's perspective, looking in, that's something that would instantly trigger them. But like, I, yeah, that, I, that's, I, that's I true. I mean, I think if somebody said, I'm going to be the leader of cause or belief A, B or C, their best bet might be to focus on that topic and that topic only and exclude all other topics to avoid what you're talking about, like newcomers getting triggered by the peripheral issues, right? So I fully understand that criticism of Dubai. Me personally, if I was going to criticize Dubai to be based on his promotion of giant humans, now again, most people don't read books. They don't know what's in Dubai's Flat Earth Conspiracy. But one of the final chapters, like the second or third last chapter, says that giant humans exist. Now, you've got to understand the way that he structures his book, it's not really in chapters. It's just more in sections that follow more or less a logical arc where he talks about the problems of the, like he talks about the official story of the moon landings and then he starts talking about things like relativism and Einstein uh, and the influence that he had on science. And then he basically just takes us through a little journey through how we came to be believing what we believe today. And it's, like I said, a very well-structured, well-written book. But then towards the end of the book, he hits you with, oh, and giant humans existed and they're being kept secret. They're being repressed. And it's like the first three quarters of his book is all based on here's the official story. Here is what they said. Here is what Darwin said. Here is what Einstein said. Here is what uh, Newton supposedly said, right? He goes basically through the official story and says, here's the official story. Here are the problems with it, which I think is really cool. But then all of a sudden, the second or third last chapter, he says, 
giant humans existed. Giant um, skeletons have been hidden for, you know, by whoever's running the show. They're hiding the giant skeletons. Humans used to be much bigger. And it's like, where, firstly, where did, how does that fit into, into the rest of this book? But secondly, what's his evidence for any of this nonsense? You know what I mean? Like, the official story of Newton is the official story of Newton. You can look up and see what did Newton say and when did he say it, right? That's, it's very different to uh, paraphrase or, or rehash the official story of official history than it is to make an entirely new claim. And the entirely new claim is at the end of the book where he starts talking about giant humans. Now, tell me, Tom, are, are, are you a believer in, in giant humans? Have you ever heard of this theory before, that there used to be these uh 10 foot, 20 foot humans just roaming around and they're all dead now and their skeletons are being hidden. Have you heard of this theory before? Yeah, I've heard of it. And I kind of chuckled to myself the other day because, you know, he doesn't believe in dinosaurs. He doesn't believe in the pictures of people excavating those bones, but then he's got pictures of giant skulls from the same, you, you see what I'm saying? Like it just didn't really seem to mesh with me. Like he doesn't believe that the dinosaur bones dug digging up but he believes the giant bones like it just doesn't mesh and it just seems like there's certain physics like how do they pump the blood all the way up to their head it just doesn't seem like there's certain things that that work like you know what i mean well as you said it's like a contradiction he he says that he doesn't believe in the alleged evidence for dinosaurs and i'm completely with him on that but then he says that he does believe in giant humans it, to me it was uh, a glaring sort of contradiction in the book and it amazes me to this day that uh, almost nobody in fact i haven't heard a single person talk about what's in dubey's book other than me and so i do wonder how many people have taken the time to read it now like i said the pdf cost me ten dollars anyone can afford ten dollars right and i bought that book when uh when i was getting into all of this i bought it not like i didn't think to myself well i'm a, I'm a flat earther so i better buy this book i was like no i'm going to look into the flat earth and I bought the book. So somebody who's just looking into it is willing to pay $10 to buy a copy of the book. All of these people who claim to be flat earthers, who say that they're flat earthers, they identify as flat earthers, they do all these live hangouts about the flat earth. If someone like me who's just looking into it can afford the $10 and the several hours it takes to read the book, how come they can't? And of course, the answer is because most of these people have no interest in real research. They're just here for the feelings. And I guess... That makes a nice little segue into the, the next sort of round of questioning that I had for you, Tom. Have you spent much time thinking about who these people are, the, the audience that watch these videos? Have you spent much time thinking about what kind of people are attracted to this scene? Um, well, I have been popping my head in, like I'll pop my head in free chat, chat once in a while just to see what those people are like or the as potato turn or uh patricia steer show like i do pop my head in there and uh i'll s it seems like it is just the same people like it, it uh it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of new people coming where it's growing and they, they do seem like they just have nothing really better to do but hang out like i don't know how they have as much to talk about as they do on hangout it's like for me like it's nerve-wracking and it's hard for me to even fill this time with you right now you know, like I'm, I'm nervous about what I'm going to say. And 
like I have, I certainly have better things to do. Like during the summer, I barely went on the computer. Like I'm outside. Like that, and that's what got me into flat Earth was the experiments, was the getting out in nature and actually doing things. But like you say, I don't like even me. I didn't buy Arctic book. Like I'm not a researcher. I'm a, I'm a I'm a recovering conspirator, and I, you know, I'm I'm not really better than any of the people that we're talking about. You know, I'm guilty of. I'm guilty of having a belief as well and just, you know, parroting what some of these leaders have said. Yeah, that's, look, that's a good point. And you say that you know better than the people we're talking about. And uh, look at me. I mean, I, I worked out that a lot of these people were charlatans a long time ago. And yet, I've still listened to a lot of their, a lot of their shows and uh, maybe not watched so many videos, but I've still listened to a lot of their shows. I'm still doing this show, Metafay. I'm still in this scene. I'm still giving it my attention. And so if somebody were to come along and say, well, JLB, you, you know, you should know better than this by now, but you're still paying them your attention. You're still, you know, you're still giving them your precious time. I'd say that's a fair criticism. You know, like we, I'm still giving this my time. I'd like to think that I'm taking a more intellectual approach to it and trying to learn from the people involved in the scene. But ultimately this is all one big reality TV show to me. And, uh, whether I'm giving it my attention to learn or I'm giving it my attention for entertainment or any mixture of the two. Uh, really, that's what we're all doing. We're all giving this our attention. And I wonder how many people are being honest with themselves about what it is that attracts them to this scene. I think a lot of us, we stop watching television because we realize the TV is lying to us. And we still have several hours a day. Some people, almost their entire day, they don't have many other things going on. They need to fill it with something. And I think a lot of these hangouts become that thing. And before you know it, you've got a whole new reality TV experience to be part of. Do you think that's a part of it, Tom, that really this is, it's like a new experience for people that's entertaining, that they can tell themselves that it's, that they're learning, that they're part of a new truth that's going to take over the world. But really, it's just a way to pass the time. Yeah, I don't think you saw the Globusters show today, but it was basically... Um, simulation theory and they were talking philosophy like, it, to me it really does feel like it is a soap opera and like any soap opera you, you have to tune in every day or you miss those little uh, uh, secret bits of information that you might not get if you were in that chat room or if you didn't go to that show you might not you know you, you don't want to miss an episode basically and I think a lot of people I really see them they're in, they're in a reality show within a reality show. Like these potatoes talk about doing this actual reality show, but I think it's already it's already in production. Like you make um, a good point. I like that. I like that analogy. Like um, it's like a uh, a soap opera. You have to tune in every episode, or you'll miss something out, which is true. But also, just like a soap opera, you could go away for three months. And when you come back, it'll still be the same overall story, won't it? Yeah, you, you might have missed the, the key details, but the overall story will remain the same. And you think about it, what has really changed with these people over the course of 2016? You know, certain characters have uh, fallen in love or fallen out of love. They've had issues with, uh, with other leading characters like um, the, the Morgyle and Matt Powerland having their little falling out because... Powerland had been a, a gay actor allegedly or something like this. All these kinds of things have happened. And if you weren't paying attention, you would have missed it. But ultimately, the scene remains what it was a year ago 
a bunch of people sitting around claiming that they've found a new truth that has changed their life, but still yelling and screaming at people who disagree with them, still not apparently taking very good care of themselves or of their health, still not reading books or doing research, and uh, still not even close to a threat to the establishment or to NASA or to any of these government bodies. Really, they haven't gone anywhere in 12 months, have they? No, like I could, I could walk out uh, into the city or out my backyard and I don't see the world hasn't changed from flat earth one bit. Like it has, it's, it's still the same. Like there, there's no influence on the outside world beyond YouTube and beyond their, their little drama scene. Nothing's changed. They've, you know, like you say, they haven't brought down NASA, like Trump is president and it's president business, president of the world. Um, yeah, and I just I, maybe I just want to mention to just kind of take you back like this, because um, what you're saying kind of has relevant. Like they have that their marketing tactic is this 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 full frontal assault where they just you know they push the YouTube on you, but then they have their their fragment tactic too where they you know they divide you into smaller groups and smaller pieces, and they kind of um, focus on the customer. Um, on a smaller personal basis, you know, like they divide and conquer, they get your foot in the door and they look for those smaller opportunities. So like there was, like you're saying, there's the uh, Dubai versus basically everyone drama. And then it was Matt and Mark didn't like each other. And then all of a sudden Patricia had Matt Boylan on her show, like nothing happened. And it's almost like that 1984, you know, where, you know, one day we're, we're enemies with this person and now we're allies with this person and we were never enemies with that person you know and it just we were um we were always at war with eurasia eurasia yeah. have always <laughs> been our enemies yeah, yeah. and you're completely right like they'll be enemies one day friends the next and uh you do wonder is there more organization going on in the background and uh we've spent a bit of time now explaining to to people how you've come to be viewing this scene sort of my past in, uh, is known as well. Well, let's get into a little bit of speculation for the, for the sake of entertainment, for the, for the listeners and the audience. Have you spent much time thinking about, say, the Patricia and Antonio angle of, uh, of, this, of this show? Have you spent much time thinking about whether or not any of that was actually legitimate? Firstly, I've had people telling me behind the scenes, people who were... I don't want to say loyal to the potato crew, but people who once upon a time were on very good terms with them. I've had them telling me that they don't believe that um, Antonio and Patricia were ever a real thing. They think it was all entirely fabricated from the get-go. Have you spent much time thinking about this kind of possibility? Well, that's sort of what got me thinking about them in the first place was why would she go and live with Antonio when he like he's a chain smoker, he doesn't look healthy. You know, she she claims to be like a vegan and like a really healthy person, and those personalities just don't seem to mix. You know, it, non-smokers don't generally go out looking for smokers as partners. You know, it's like even if they like them, it's the smell can often be a lot to drive them away. And yeah, it's it seemed completely fabricated the way they got together and. I, I don't know, I guess maybe you can fill me in a little bit on what happened in between there, I guess. Was Antonio uh, 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 
dividing her audience? Like, I think he was going after some Christians or something, or what happened there that it seemed well, like they I had touched on this. Yeah, I touched on this in the Metafay episode zero, the very first of the three pilot episodes. And what had happened was that a guy named Daniel Pratt, who had been on Patricia's show early in the piece, and a man who's well-known, he's a, a middle-aged American man who's well-known for his uh, rants. He puts his uh, phone camera in front of him and just rants about the world and how, you know, people aren't fixing the world quick enough and how they should bring down NASA and stop paying your taxes, all this kind of stuff, right? Anyway, he made a video saying that he couldn't feed his family. His welfare had been cut off. He couldn't feed his family and he needed his audience to, to send him money. And so, uh, and this was after he had uh, supposedly criticized Patricia, Nathan Oakley, these kinds of people for using Google ads. You know, you can monetize your YouTube channel and you get money for the ads that come on your screen, right? Which yeah. Nathan Oakley is very well known for doing because he puts six ads in a 10 minute video, right? So Dan Pratt, who had criticized Nathan and Patricia and others simply for having ads, not for asking for money, simply for having ads, which is their right to do. He criticized them for that. But then he comes out and says he can't feed his own family. He needs his, his listeners money. <laughs> so naturally, Nathan and Patricia and the rest of them have gotten um, you know upset by this because they're thinking, well, this is very hypocritical. So they did a live show uh, attacking Daniel Pratt for that. And at the same time, uh, Antonio was waging a war against uh, Sasha, Orphan Red. And he was saying some pretty horrible stuff about her. I mean, you know, when a man wants to uh, attack a woman and to really upset her, it's very easy for him to start making criticisms of her, um, of her physique or these kinds of things. And uh, generally speaking, in my experience, if a man does that, the other women are very turned off by that as well because they know how how uh, upsetting that can be for, for a woman to have a man, you know, attack, attack her, uh, her physique or her appearance, or that kind of thing. So by attacking Dan Pratt, they were alienating many of Dan Pratt's uh, followers or fans or this kind of thing. And by Antonio attacking uh, Sasha and specifically the kind of attacks that he was making basically against, against the woman due to aspects of her femininity, if you like, uh, in one or two sort of fell swoops, they'd more or less alienated a huge chunk of Patricia's audience base, an audience base that she had spent more than 100 live shows building. They were jeopardizing very quickly. And wouldn't you know it, within a few weeks, Patricia's packing her bags and she's uh, going back home to New York. And uh, that's the end of her and Antonio. And many people are wondering, is that a coincidence? Hey John, do you mind if we just take a quick five-minute break? Yeah, you go for it, dude. What we'll do is you take a quick break. I'm going to read a few comments from the live chat. When we come back, we'll um, get into the final segment of the show and just touch on a few things that came up earlier. So you go and take a break. I'll read through the live chat. We've got more than 60 people watching right now. I'll just go back through the uh, through the live chat, see what is being said. And uh, thanks to all of you for coming out. This was arranged on fairly late notice. So I've been speaking with Tom for a little bit behind the scenes, but obviously I'm very busy with my other things right now. So we only uh, settled on this time and date uh, just yesterday, actually, my time. So it was fairly late notice. So thanks to all of you for coming out. And obviously we started this show while Lowbusters was still live. Now they said that YouTube said that they had more than 700 live viewers, right? which could be possible, 
But when I was watching it, just a few minutes worth of the show before we went live with this one, I noticed that their live chat was going very slowly. I would say maybe twice the speed of the live chat of this show that we've been doing. Now, this show's only had 50 or 60 live viewers, and we're getting half as many live chat comments as they are. It does make you wonder whether that 700 is, uh, is a legitimate figure, if maybe it's being fudged a little bit. I'm not saying that I think that the, the low buses themselves are fudging the figures. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going on over there, but the, the speed of their live chat I do think is very suspicious indeed. So we'll just go through some of the comments that are here. Lamp Shadius says, just because the Holocaust has probably been exaggerated and the Allied Holocaust hidden and so on doesn't make him a good guy. Lamp Shadius is, of course, referring to Eric Dubay. And Eric Dubay, again, it's worth reminding, especially for the archive listeners, he came out with his Flat Earth material late 2014. And it wasn't until February 2015 that Mark Sargent releases Flat Earth Clues and all of this thing really took off. So Eric Dubay was here before Sargent and he did a lot more rigorous work. He released a book that is, for the most part, uh, fairly informative. So Dubay was kind of the, the more intellectual version, if you like, the more research-based version, and he was here earlier. But it was Sargent's Flat Earth Clues that really seemed to make all of this take off. And so what happened was... A few months later, after Sergeant and Dubay had their back and forth, you know, Sergeant saying, you shouldn't talk about the, the Jews or the hollow hoax. Uh, Dubay saying, Mark Sergeant's a shill. He's a paid shill. After that little back and forth, uh, that one seems to die down. But there was this big question of if you want to push Flat Earth, should you be pushing the, the hollow hoax as well? Uh, Dubay's video was even entitled The Jew World Order. Uh, Adolf Hitler and the Jew World Order or something like this. So very controversial to many people, especially to the average normie out on the street, the idea that you would question heliocentrism or the Holocaust, either of those things is crazy. The idea that you would do both at the same time, for many people that's uh, that's far too far. So that was a big, I guess, um, point of contention for a lot of people, especially in 2015. Not so much this year, mostly because I think this is now more reality television and people don't really care about people don't care about the truth anymore i think it really is about the personalities and the feelings the belly feels you know if you've read 1984 by george orwell there's this idea of belly feels uh, if it makes somebody feel good then it's good it's true if it makes somebody feel bad then it's bad it's evil it's not true it's not permissible that's really how most people in this scene operate in my opinion it's all about their belly feels so i think we've been rejoined by tom tom are you there Oh, I was just going through some of the live chats. Uh, one more comment from E Flat says that he was lurking on Free Chan the other day and he thought that they were very ignorant towards JLB and that they were very childish. That makes a nice little segue into something that we wanted to talk about today. I know that you have seen a little bit of what's gone on over at Free Chan. The context here is that this is a, a YouTube channel where they basically broadcast all day, every day. Just about anybody can join. They, they seem to center their conversations around Flat Earth, but supposedly they'll talk about anything. You'll have anywhere from two or three right through to eight or nine people on the panel at a time. They'll get anywhere from 20 to 50 live viewers at a time. So not a huge audience in the grand scheme of things, but these are, so far as we can tell, real people with real lives uh, spending real time and energy on these um, hangouts. 
can you give us your general opinion or sentiments towards the regular free chainers? Yeah, it sort of seems like the free chain church, you know, like they're open 24 hours a day for anyone to come in. And I normally don't spend much time in there, but after the Globuster show, I was working on a couple of episodes of As the Potato Turns and uh, had Globusters on in the background and that ended. So I, I hopped in the free chain and I seen that you were there and I thought I'd stick around because I thought it was going to be pretty interesting. And me personally, I thought, you know, you conducted yourself really well, like you were really respectful of them. You know, you didn't just come in there and railroad them. I think for the first 20 minutes, you were talking about um, are, are women funny or not? Is, is, it a, is it a genetic trait that just men are funnier than women? You, know, you didn't just, you didn't come in there to try and trigger them right away. And um, no, I just found it really interesting. If anyone wants to go back and listen to that, like it, it is worthwhile listening to because you can get no, just even into into yourself, like myself, how I would let people challenge my beliefs and trigger me. And you get in a, an, an argument in the comments section. Before you know it, you've wasted a couple hours of your life arguing with someone you'll never meet or see. And in reality, it makes, you know, like, why do you care what they believe? You know? So yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Like, you jumped in there, you know, I could see that you were going to ask them about uh, some of the things David Weiss has said with regards to flights existing and not existing. And it was a really good conversation until Pillbox, like he just, he, he immediately just wanted to argue with you. And it, it was already difficult enough, like you say, with all the different panel members in there. There was uh, one guy, Steve, I thought he was an old grandma until he turned on his, uh, his microphone and it, he's like a gay Southern man. It was, it was, I could see you working through the frustration of, of just trying to deal with these people and trying to have a format to the show. And, uh, but yeah, Pillbox just started shouting at you right away, what do you see in this picture? And I think you kind of exposed a flaw of a lot of flat earthers is that they, they just, they just make statements. Like, uh, he, he asked you to take a look at this picture and you're like, what? I, I see clouds and ground. <laughs> You know, I just started laughing, and uh, I could see where you're going. You, you know, so you asked him about the math, and at what point should you see a curve? And he said, you know, I did the math; it's fifteen thousand feet. And then when you asked him where his math was, he just went on a rant about like a journalism rant. The math isn't reality. He just started like parroting, "Math isn't reality." And then he would, he would go back. To, he would try to give it to Steve, like this weird fucking guy, that was just distracting the conversation. You know, and he just kept railroading you and. Yeah, it was interesting listening to how people make excuses for some of the flatter uh, proofs that just don't work, like things that work against it, what people use as an excuse to defend it. Like, yeah, it uh, certainly was interesting. The background here is that another person who I've had some dealings with behind the scenes and someone who I think for the most part is, he seems to me like a pretty cool guy. He had said that he wanted to invite me onto that free chain hangout which I had not previously had anything to do with to discuss some things. So I was like, all right, I was free at the time. So I, uh, I took the, took up the invitation and went to this free chain uh, discussion. And uh, yeah, I think your, your overview is fairly accurate. I was trying to have a sensible 
reasonable conversation, like the one that you and I are having now, where we can uh, talk about things and give each other a chance to speak. If we disagree, we can disagree. There's no problems. That's the kind of conversation that I think is productive for those taking part and for the audience, for the listeners. And it didn't take long for some of these people to get very triggered by what I was saying and to want to turn it into a, a like, like you said, you know, like a, basically an attack on me. And one of the guys in particular would uh, launch into a tirade for 10, 20, 30 seconds, a minute, however long it took. And then once he finished his tirade, then try and throw the, the microphone to someone, someone else and not let me respond. And it's such juvenile behavior, such um, childish antics that these people engage in. And sometimes I think they're probably nice people and this is just a topic that is so close to their heart that they forget how to conduct themselves. But then I think, no, this is maybe just how they are. Maybe this is just the kind of people that they are. I think these are the kind of people that are attracted to this scene. These are people who they want to feel like they're part of something and they want to feel like they're defending something or are building something or they're going to bring down the establishment or whatever it is in their mind that they're convinced of that makes what they're doing honourable or just, uh, you know, whatever it is, the ends justify the means. And so if if the ends are bringing down NASA or whatever it is that they think they're going to do, then the means are justified. And the means will include attacking people like me, not letting us speak, you know, treating us very poorly. You know, just the other day I was on Free Chan and the guy was, um, yeah, like, like the way he was conducting himself, I said to him live on there, I'm like, dude, you wouldn't want your friends or family to see the way that you're carrying on right now, you know. And the other members of his panel, I said, do you guys, do you guys condone the way that this guy's behaving right now? Like he's clearly triggered and he's clearly just here to attack me. He's admitted he's come onto this show just to attack me, to, to stop us from having any uh, reasonable conversation. Do you guys, would you guys condone this behavior? And they wouldn't, they would not because they know that it's wrong, but because they all think they're on the same team, they will justify that kind of behavior. And this, these are the kind of psychological and sociological aspects that I find particularly interesting about this scene. It's like, if you just study these people and their behavior, putting aside whether they believe the earth is flat or it's a giant spinning ball, or they believe that NASA is real or NASA is fake, just put all of that aside and look at how these people behave uh, with each other and look at how they behave when somebody challenges their views. I think there's a lot that we can learn from, from these sorts of people. And I've learned a lot. I should, I should be at the stage now where I don't need to go on any of these shows, but uh, every now and then I get sucked into going and um, chatting with them again. And the same thing happens. And I, I would like to think that going forward, Tom, I've learned enough now that I can avoid those shows altogether. That's my hope. That's, that's my plan is that um, I've seen what I need to see and a lot of these people, there's no reasoning with them. There's no, uh, there's no uh, productive discourse between me and them. If you're talking to someone who can't listen to what you have to say and then articulate their response logically and calmly, then you're probably not going to achieve much um, by, by trying to engage with them. Do you reckon that's a fair, is that a fair sort of summation, would you say? Yeah, totally. You know, like, and I've been guilty of that too. Like, people challenge you on your beliefs, and like, you have some valid criticisms of, uh, you know, people denying uh, the South Pole star rotation. And it seems like when you confront people about that, it's uh, they get very offended. Like, they want they it really is a belief. Like, the sky for me right now literally has to be like a hologram for all that to work. 
because you know like even though the sky isn't uh, the shape of the, the ground it still has to conform around it and they have some major problems and i think when you've invested yourself this much like like me i i had considered myself a flat earther for a while and it's hard to say well maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong i'm just going to take a step back and not be committed to anything like it is difficult to just admit the problems there are when you're so heavily invested in something. And I think that's where yeah, they... I think that is true. And, and that's, that's one of the areas where I was hoping to get your opinion. And if any, any future episodes of Metafay with guests, this is something I want to get their perspective on this idea of when you're invested in something, how does it affect your mind and how does it affect your life? So why don't we segue into that? You said that you did consider yourself a flat earther for a period there. Can you tell us now, as we approach the uh, the end of 2016, coming up towards two years since all of this really got big on YouTube, well over a year since you first heard Sergeant on um, Coast to Coast, can you give us an idea of the effect that all of this stuff, listening to these people, watching their videos, trying to think about who these people are and, and the claims that they're making, can you give us an idea of what effect it has had on you as a person and the way that you lead your life? Well, I'd like to think it uh, it has led a bit of uh, positive impact. Like for me, um, I've spent the last like year or two trying to become like get less away from the system, you know, stop feeding them as much of your energy and just doing more of what you enjoy. And that's kind of what it's brought to me. It's just like the understanding that we're not here for very long and, and what you spend your time doing it like it matters that that's time you're never going to get back and you know if like if you want to spend your whole life just on a computer really not doing anything then it's, it's your life but like it, it is precious you know yeah time time is finite and um you know how we use it is obviously very important we were speaking earlier about the effect it can have on your mindset when someone gets you to reconsider the notion that you are a speck of, of dust spiraling around an infinite universe, to reconsider that idea and maybe maybe consider that you're more important than that. Maybe, maybe there's more going on than uh, what we've been led to believe. Would you say that even if you've kind of grown up or sort of left behind this uh, flat earth belief system, would you say that that sort of existential or spiritual reconsideration that that has stayed with you oh yeah absolutely like I, i've always felt there is uh like a creator something more you know just looking around in your everyday to day life like something from nothing never really resonated with me so like it and i think there are, i think with anything that the establishment sort of pushes there's always like a little there's always truth to it and that's why people resonate and I think there is some of, there are a lot of uh, truths that the flat earthers talk about, like you no know, space, we're not spinning. It's just, for me right now, like I have no way to prove. If I could prove the ground was flat, then I guess like the sky is somehow a simulation. And that's basically what the Globusters were talking about today, is uh, the simulation theory. And that's pretty well the only place they can go right now because there's phenomenon they can't can't explain like uh, what, what's your take on like the doctor's act video with um, 
them trying to show the, the South Pole star rotation and how it's just uh, it's just due to atmospherics and it sort of warps in a circle. Have you seen that video? Yeah, I think I've seen that one. I saw one a few days ago where what they were doing was using a 3D computer modeling uh, program and suggesting that there was some kind of um, atmospheric, like some sort of thing above the, the atmosphere that was causing the light to bend. Is that the, am I talking about the right one? Yeah, and it's, it sort of made the star trails look like they're going in a circle around a center point. But like for me, for that to work, you still have to have the Southern Cross in the, star, in the sky the whole time. Like if the Southern Cross entered that uh, warp or that distortion, it would come in from one side, kind of warp around, and then come out the other side and go all the way around the outer edge. So it just, like, so I... I yep, that's, that's one, you, you're right about that. That's one obvious problem is, like, say a constellation like the Southern Cross, the proportions between the stars would have to be constantly changing as the different, um, the different stars, the different lights, their light is bent at different angles based on... How it um, how it sits relative to this this plane above the atmosphere, but there's there's a bigger problem than that. If we just take a step back, it's like these are the same people who tell you that they don't believe in heliocentrism because they don't like the CGI of Earth, right? But they'll happily accept a computer model of some dude on YouTube to prove that the Earth is flat, and the, like the contradiction that is involved the cognitive dissonance that's going on, that, that's a word that's overused, but in this case, it's quite apt. The cognitive dissonance that's going on, the double think, what George Orwell would call double think. We're going to reject this footage of Earth because it's a computer model, but we're going to accept this version of reality, even though it's a computer model, because it fits with what we already believe. That's classic double think. It's a classic contradiction. And that's what these people are doing. They're saying, yay, we've got, we've got this video model that, that proves that our, that we can get around the southern the southern star problem. We can get we can get around it with this computer model. It's like, hold on, since when is a computer model proof of anything? You know, like that. That's the level of double think that's going on, Tom. Can you see where I'm coming from with that? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting when you look at the comments on that video. How it's just there's really no critical thinking into it. It's just awesome, shared, loved it, excellent video. You know, and so I I left a comment there. I asked, I just said, so let's just pretend this is a real working model because like in reality, we have nowhere, no way of verifying this for myself, you know, and that's, that's the truth. Like, where do we get this computer program from? And it's, it's just basically a video game, right? So it's, it's the same thing going on with NASA. It's just ones and zeros, but probably none of the 86 people who thumbs this up or the 11 people that some thumbs this down can verify. So, you know, Basically, uh, I asked him about the Southern Cross, too, always being in the sky, and uh, Dr. Zach, he just got back to me, and he said, uh, you can buy this program and model it yourself, and uh, that's all he really said. He didn't address the Southern Cross problem, but, you know, I don't even think I could buy it. So you, you've program. pointed, basically, you've, uh, you've pointed out a problem to him with his model, and he said to you, that's not my problem. You can go and buy a copy of it and uh, do it yourself. And it's typical, yeah. isn't it? And you speak about how there's no critical thinking in the comments. One of the things that really did it for me, and this was probably about, I would say about March of this year, March or April. I know that I was, it must have been March because I know I was working uh, really, really long hours at the time. And um, 
I got home and I see this video from David Weiss and he's uh, saying that he's got footage of the sun shrinking, right? Like shrinking into the distance. And to me, it's like, well, this is, uh, this is a bit of a joke. You know what I mean? Like, why would you do such a thing? But then I read through the comments and that was when, you know, it's like, um, you know, like a, a filmmaking technique where they will move the camera closer to the subject but zoom out. So the subject remains the same size, but because the background is changing, uh, it's like a, a way of representing that moment when everything just sort of comes into you really close. That's how it felt for me. It was like, holy crap, these people have lost their minds, right? They're seeing clearly fake footage, right? Footage that is clearly fake based on all of their own experience with the world, but because it's being presented to them by a, a flat earther, a person who presents himself as a flat earther, and because it seems to help their flat earth belief, they're just going to take it on face value. And it's like, I knew there were some people in this scene who were like that, but going through the comments, there were lots of names that these are people who used to leave nice comments on my videos or on my hangouts. And I'd be appreciative of people leaving positive comments. And it's like, these, these are the kind of people who were, who were supporting my work in the past. And it's like, oh my God, these people have lost their minds, Tom. It's over. Well, yeah, you show them a picture of Bigfoot and they, they question it. Like, is that real or is it authentic? But when someone just comes out with, oh, this is footage of the sun shrinking or this is a picture of islands off Hawaii that are 300 miles away, they just take it as it's real without you know, putting the same scrutiny they put NASA through. You know? like, well, is, is that footage doctored? How can I trust it? Like, is the person who gave it to me reliable? Yeah, I think I think there's this selective skepticism, you know, selective critical thinking, where if the person presenting them with evidence or what's claimed to be evidence is on their side, it slips right past the critical thinking part of their mind. If it's being presented to them by someone who is not on their side, then it goes straight to that part of their brain that wants to uh, analyze or question things, but it doesn't really stay there too long in that case either. It's very quickly rejected altogether. Uh, they'll, they'll post facto rationalize as, as no, no, I've looked at the evidence and here are the problems with it, but they will not do that with stuff that supports their pre their preconceived belief. And I think that's why going right back to the start of this conversation where we were talking about when you first encounter this, uh, these flat earth proponents, what is it that gets that gets people into it? And for some people, it is the questioning of NASA, which a lot of people haven't done before. For a lot of people, it is questioning cosmology and questioning, are we really as insignificant as school tells us that we are? Whether it's one of these things, both of these things, something else altogether. Once we accept belief that these flat earth proponents are on our side, or once we accept flat earth uh, in general, whatever it is, once we accept it, we fall prey and we're at huge risk of believing whatever other nonsense they say, which is why they've gotten away with that Mark Sargent so-called sex tape. It's why they've gotten away with no trees on flat earth. It's why they've gotten away with the shrinking sun, David Weiss's shrinking sun, or the alleged blue screen on the ISS, which came out at the same time. It's, it's why they're getting away with this urine therapy, you know, and mocking their viewers by drinking, oh, we're, just, we're drinking pineapple juice, guys. We're drinking, we're drinking cordial, whatever, right? They can mock their audience now so long as their audience believes in these people 
They can say and do whatever they want. And I think, Tom, they're going to get away with it. Yeah, I don't see really... Well, you know what? I do see, especially in the last three or four weeks since uh, like your FE Meta series came out, uh, like in the Potatoes chat, I was kind of trolling them a little bit and I didn't get blocked with that. Like, They do seem like they're paying attention to, to the criticisms. People have been unblocked. I know I was in, Go- in a Goldbusters chat today. I, I was ghost banned in there. I couldn't say anything. But it might have been because I was trying to find out if I could drink piss fresh or if it had to be, uh, if it was okay if it was on the shelf for a couple of days. That might have got me banned. But, uh, no, I'm ghost banned in there, but it seems like the potatoes, they've at least uh, opened up their chat to criticism the last three or four weeks. Well, but but at the risk of sounding cynical, you do wonder if that is because they're genuinely interested in proper discourse or if that's a tactical move to try and attract more people back to their show. Because even though I think the people who uh, believe in Flat Earth and have been here for a while, even though I think for most of them there's no hope, they're just going to be rusted on believers now, just like um, ancient aliens or, you know, Hoagland face on Mars or whatever, like the people who believe it will keep believing it. I think there is fewer and fewer new people coming along. And so they're going to do whatever they can to, um, to try and maximize their audiences. Do you think it's possible that that's, that's really what that's about? Well, yeah, like for a lot of these people, it is a, a career to them now. Like journalism, it's, that's his job. It's Globebusters, isn't it? Or, well, it's, it, seems, it seems that way. And look, it's really difficult to know, say with YouTube, um, ad money. It's really difficult to know how much money people are making from YouTube because different people will give you different, you know, answers as to what they're getting paid. You know, I've heard people say anything from 50 cents per thousand impressions, uh, per thousand views of a show, right through to a couple of dollars per thousand views. So you start, let's, let's go with the 50 cents. You start looking at some of these people who monetize their videos. Then it's obviously dependent on how many ads you put in the video. Some people are rather shameless. They'll put five or six in a 10-minute video. And like there are so many factors and variables. It's difficult to know how much people are making. But based on everything I've seen and all the people I've spoken to, it seems to me that some of these people would be making, just from doing their hangouts and just from doing their videos, they'd probably be making some pretty decent side money. You know what I mean? Whether it's, say, um, $50 or $100 a week, they'd be making decent enough money from this that it is worth uh, financially the time that they're putting into it. And for a lot of people, the moment they start getting new money coming in, they start spending the money. I mean, humans, especially those of us who've gone through the Western education system and the rest of it, we're generally very bad with money and budgeting. And so the moment that we get a new income stream, we find a new way to spend that money and we become dependent on it. Are some of these people dependent on the money that they're getting from their flat earth uh, operations on YouTube? I wouldn't be the least bit surprised, Tom, if some of these people were now dependent on this like a second job. Well, maybe I'm just speculating. Like, like I say, I have no no idea. But it almost seems like like YouTube. You would think as a, a production, like because they basically are a production company. And if they wanted to attract people to make more videos, like Flat Earth is a great way to get people's data to make them waste time, collect their information. And it just makes me wonder, you know, in some way, maybe like, does YouTube have uh, like a production team because they're 
basically the ones who, who benefit. Maybe they're not getting paid straight from views. Maybe they get like a little bit of the data mining money. But I don't know, like if they supposed were more nefarious than just you know con artists trying to capitalize on people. See what I'm saying? Like YouTube seems to be the one who benefits and who is kind of paying them, right? Yeah, well, I see what you're saying. Like, um, could it be that YouTube has like its own production house, right? Now you think about it. Once upon a time, if we were putting a show on, on if we wanted to get a show to the masses, it had to be broadcast via television stations, right? Yeah. Right. So there was a relationship between the studios who produce the, say, the soap opera, and the net, the, the network that broadcasts it, right? They both need each other to get the show out, to sell the commercials, right? In a simplistic sort of notion of how the whole thing works. Now with YouTube, what would be to stop YouTube from producing their own content if they knew it was going to bring in enough viewers to make more money than it costs to produce the show? So if you look a lot of, at a lot of the video game players now, like young people now, people in their teenage years and early 20s, they watch uh, video game players uh, just like a generation ago, people would have watched soap operas. You know, like these are big personalities now, people who play video games. They'll make a video about this house that they're living in. A lot of them live in teams, like a team will live in the same house uh, and, and they'll make videos about sort of living with the other members of their team. And a lot of young people love this stuff. And there's an argument that these aren't real people who've gotten together and made their own um, video game playing team and like it's, it's all managed is what some people will try and tell you. And I, I think this is actually quite plausible. It's all managed and the money that they make from the people watching the videos uh, more than pays for the costs of renting the house and giving these guys somewhere to live. And, and the guys involved, the actors, what do they care? Because they're getting paid basically to pay, play video games. You can see how easy it would be to do that. Now, is the same thing happening with Flat Earth where some of these people they claim to be flat earthers. They claim to lead normal lives. But really, they're in on the take. They're generating millions of views. If you look at the combined view counts for some of these flat earth videos, they're millions. Uh, are these people in on a, a broader uh, play, if you like, to produce content for YouTube to, to generate views, Tom? Is that possible? I think it is. Like, yeah, Matt Boyland, uh, I didn't even know this until about a week ago. Uh, his video, I think it's called Sexy Paranoia where he's on the street and he's walking around talking about how, you know, it's pointing up the black helicopters, follow me. This guy's driving by, he's got earphones on, you know, he's probably an agent, you know, and it was just, he almost, like, he seems like he's acting. Like, he's just, like you say, taking the piss out of people. And then I think it was a week or two later, he had a, uh, he claimed there was an assassination, possibly an attempt on his life a car came out and hit him and then all these secret agents or cops came out or something. But you can see like his hands aren't cut up. Like his knees are, they look fine. Like it looks like he cut his pants with scissors. And you know, at the video, at the end of the video, it's like I healed myself with my own piss and love and vibration basically. And like, he, he looks like an actor. And when you go back to like, for me, who got me into these, into this conspiracy of the flat earth, it's like Mark Sargent, and guys like Matt Boylan, and their backgrounds are, are very questionable. You know, like Mark with his Coast to Coast, and, you know, Matt with these clearly produced videos where he's just, like, he does seem like a bit of a narcissist to me, the way, like, 
I think it was the video with Antonio. Like, you know, he I was gonna make an episode out of that, but he had the can he had to have himself showing, and he just looked so disturbed every time Antonio would talk. the The audio quality was so bad. I like I couldn't use it. It was awful. And he does seem like this kind of narcissistic, narcissistic like actor. I don't know what your yeah. thoughts are. And, and that was the interview. This was late 2015 where this is one of Nathan Oakley's first interviews with his, um, he now calls it Mechanics of the Fourth Wall, but back then, I'm not sure if it was called that. But he's, And this is after Powerland had kind of been out of the spotlight for a while. And so in a way, it was like a breakthrough interview for, for Nathan Oakley. And um, basically, Powerland was saying that he has to record everything that he does on his end because it'll be interfered with you know, they, whoever they are, I think he even said the royal family, like the royal family are watching me. And it was, it was, if you, if you paid me to act crazy, if you said, I want you to go on camera and act like a stereotypical conspiratard who is paranoid and delusional and thinks that the people who run the show are coming to get him, I would model myself on how Powerland acted in that uh, interview, right? That's yeah, how brilliant. ridiculous, that's how ridiculous the whole thing was. And I actually made a video just after that. Uh, you know, uh, taking the, I, I took the piss out of that interview. I showed that, you know, that scene of that frog, like, hello, my lady, hello, my honey, hello, my ragtime gal, you know, like the, the frog that's acting all crazy. And then yeah. the, when the guy comes to check on the frog, the frog's just acting normal. That's kind of how these people are sometimes. <laughs> like you, you want to take them seriously and you, and you want to listen to what they have to say. But if you watch them for long enough, and usually it doesn't take long, they do something that makes you think, no, this guy is taking the piss. This this guy does not believe what he's saying. I mean, this this Powerland guy, there was a video of him. I'm not sure if it's still there. There was a video of him saying that, as you mentioned, someone tried to kill him and he'd been in this accident and he was almost dead. But his his pants or his jeans, whatever they were, they didn't look like they'd been ripped in an accident. They looked like they'd been cut with scissors, you know, like something out of the Boston bombings. And it's like, how can anyone take these people seriously or take them on face value? And of course... The answer is they trust these people. You know, that's really what it comes down to. They believe in these people. They trust these people. So they're not asking some basic questions, such as if Powerland was in an accident where he was almost killed, how come his pants look like they've been cut with scissors? You know, simple stuff like that, Tom. They're not asking these questions. Yeah, and you think you would put out, uh, like, the accident report or something. There's going to be something that goes along with that if you just got hit by a car. You know, maybe an insurance payout or, or something to probably your story but yeah look like for the amount of damage on his face like he would have had to have landed on his hands or his knees in some way and they just looked they looked fine like he he, he, he generally he, he comes across as an actor and i don't know well he that's the thing mate he is an actor he's <laughs> literally been in uh produced films you know like it's it's not a secret you know and then you look, and that, that's why he and um, Morgyle had that little on-air stoush, which was, looking back, very amusing because Morgyle had a problem with uh, Powerland acting, allegedly acting as a gay character in a film or something like this. So you've got Powerland, who, has, who is literally an actor. You've got people like Jesse Spots, who was pretty prominent, say, six to 12 months ago. He's literally an actor. He's got videos on his channel of him acting. Nathan Oakley, uh, Nathan Oakley I'm pretty sure, openly admits to working in theatre or this kind of thing. You've got Patricia Steer. She claims that she was a broadcaster uh, years and years and years ago. So one by one by one, you go through the list of these people 
uh, and many of them, and this is also true in the so-called truth community, the, the hoax-busting community, many of them openly admit to being actors. And uh, one or two, could it be a coincidence? Sure, no problems. There's like, you know, whatever, no problem. But at a certain point, you have to start to ask yourself, is there more to this story? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, mate, it's been a very interesting chat. It's gone a lot quicker than I expected. Uh, is there anything, are there any other topics that you wanted to focus on or should we start getting into the, uh, the wrap-up? Yeah, no, we can uh, start wrapping up. It's been great. Well, there was one thing I wanted to ask you at the start of the show and it did slip my mind. So just quickly, especially for people listening to this on MP3, can you tell them the avatar that you're using is, of course, one of the cards from the Illuminati card game, that card game which has, uh, I think they've actually got more than 100 cards in the game and many of them, seem to be just the straight-out truth, you know, hidden in plain sight. The avatar that you're using is of the NASA uh, faked moon landings. Can you tell us where you found that card and uh, how it came to be your avatar? Um, yeah, I was just, I was aware of the uh, Illuminati card game before Flat Earth, and then when that came along, obviously people were talking about the Flat Earth card, how Flat Earthers know something. I find that one interesting because it's not like, it doesn't say like they know the truth, like they just know something, you know, they know some truth, right? And yeah, it's just, it's kind of a symbol for, it's like the world is a stage and space, it, it is a stage, like all the countries come together and, and they're like, they, they do seem like actors, like with, uh, like, I don't really follow the news that much, but I know there's, you know, Iran and uh, Russia, they're, they're all, uh, United States, they're, you know, fomenting this war, but you never hear these astronauts up there saying like, hey, why can't you guys get along down there when we're all getting along up here? You, know, you never really hear a promotion of peace from any of these people. It just, it seems like they're two separate worlds, you know, like that's Disneyland up there where everyone gets along. And uh, down here, it, like everything sucks. Like it, it very much seems like a stage. And like, at this point, I don't think they're really, I think they, I think it, they already control everything. Like there is, like we're not a threat, like you say. Like I don't think they, uh, I don't think they hire these actors like, you know, Patricia Steer, Matt Boylan to like disrupt any truth. I think it's more just uh, like data mining, a way to waste people's time. Like, like the inner party, they don't care about like the polls. They don't care about me and you. They watch the inner party, they watch they watch the people who make the decisions, you know, like we're, we're really nothing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think that's true. You've, you've made a few references uh, during this chat to 1984 by George Orwell. Can I ask you, have you read the, the book itself in full? And if so, how old were you when you first read the book? I'm uh, guilty of not reading it, but I've listened to the audio version maybe like three or four times. And uh, I would, uh, I think the first time I listened to it was 23, 24, just while I was at work to take up, you know, your eight hour day of, you know, mindless work, just something to think about. And like, I do find the book really interesting. Like he has some things that really make you think like uh, the floating fortresses, how they defend strategic positions on the ceiling, different little quotes like that kind of just make you think like what, what do they know that like we don't you know 
Yeah. Are you familiar with that, that quote? Yeah, well, that book, I mean, it's like a five, it's a very big book. It's it's huge. And I read that for the first time. It would have been early 2015. So before I started doing my first podcast, the ARP, but um, not long before then, I would think. And then I watched the movie and then the play actually came to Brisbane. So I went and saw the play. So I got to, to do all three in a pretty short space of time. And that had a huge effect on me as a person. You know, I, I don't think I'd be doing a lot of the work I'm doing now if I hadn't seen that book. It's, and even if I was doing this kind of thing, I wouldn't have the, a lot of the insights that I feel like I've got because I think there's a lot of truth in, in George Orwell's book. And what amazes me is, say people like Mark Sargent, right? He will try and tell you that the military, all of the weapons that they have are real. He even used to interview these uh, military people on his show, right? What was it called? Um, what was the name of, of that show that he was doing? It'll come to me, but he was doing this regular uh, weekly show where he would interview uh, military personnel. And yep. I've, I've asked him live on the That's air. Yeah, it was Strange Worlds. That's what it was called. Strange Worlds with Morris Sargent, right? So he will try and tell you that, that atomic weapons, nuclear weapons are real and that intercontinental ballistic missiles are real and that military weapons are real. But of course, in 1984 by George Orwell, which was written just a couple of years after World War II had uh, ostensibly finished, allegedly finished, George Orwell was writing about how the weapons were fake, how the explosions in London were fake explosions. No one was uh, really dying. Or if they were, it was the government themselves. It was the the London government, the, that, that um, nation's government who was uh, dropping the bombs. There was no real enemy. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Now, if people take the time to look into the V2 rockets, these rockets that were supposedly shot or fired from continental Europe over to London, if people take the time to look into those V2 rockets, one of the first things they're going to learn is that the man who was supposedly responsible for them was a guy named Werner von Braun. Now, gee, Werner von Braun, where have we heard that name before? Oh, yeah, he was the guy who was also supposedly behind the Apollo missions, right? Now, how can somebody know that the Apollo missions are fake? And how can they know that they involved Werner von Braun but not take the time to just put two and two together and reconsider what it is that they think they know about World War II. So I've put this to, I put this to Mark Sargent live on the air on one of the shows that I've done with him. I said to him, uh, nuclear weapons, you know, and uh, he claims that nuclear weapons are real. And it's that kind of thing that I think people should take a step back and think about. How can people seem to know so much, but then uh, how can they know so little? And that's just one example, Tom, of the truths that I think are in uh, 1984 by George Orwell. That's one example of many, many things in that book. You know, it's, it's such a shame to me that people won't take the time to, to go and engage with this stuff. You've listened to the audio book, obviously. If people don't feel they've got the time to read the book, most people are commuting, you know, half an hour, an hour each way to work. Just listen to the audio book, you know. Like I know a lot of people now, they're addicted when they're on the train or they're on the bus or they're, you know, they're stuck without a TV around them. They're addicted to their phones now. They've got to, they've got to have sort of visual stimulation now. They, they can't go without it. But, but I recommend, guys, just, just try it. Read the book or do what Tom did. Listen to the audio book of 1984. There is so much truth in there. In a book that was written 70 years ago, these people who were telling you, oh, they're hiding the truth from us and blah, 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 maybe to an extent they are. 
maybe to an extent they're not hiding anything. It's all there if you just take the time to engage with books like 1984. Tom, what say you? Yeah, no, it's even like uh, the public figures, how they encourage them to be out in public and always go to charity functions. You know, it reminds you like a lot of the political, uh, like Bill and Hillary, in the inner party, you don't marry anybody for love, like you are put together uh, to further the party. And it just, it does, it seems like the book is what's going on. Like a lot of the, like, I don't, they'll show you these uh, pictures on the screen of wars that are going on halfway across the world and you have no way of knowing if someone died or not. You know, like, it, like I don't even, I think it's pretty well impossible to tell what's real with television. And pe some people say, well, I don't watch TV, but I'm like, well, you watch like Netflix, right? And it's like, well, that's, technically watching TV. Yeah, they're watching something that will have an influence on the way they perceive the world. And say with the news, right? Like where I'm staying right now, obviously I'm living out of a suitcase right now. I've been in Melbourne for a couple of months. So sometimes I have to go to the local uh, library or the local fast food place to use their internet. Recently, I've been going to uh, a local fast food place here and doing my typing, my writing uh, there at their, at their desk there using their internet, right? And on the screen, they've got the TV going all the time. Sometimes they'll have music television. Sometimes they'll have the news, the 24-hour news. In Australia, we have Sky News 24, right? And they'll be showing clips of these rockets being shot, being fired in one country or another. And now when I look at it, to me, it's just comical. It's obviously fake. It's all obviously fake, just like George Orwell wrote about, right? Once you know what you're looking at, you can't unsee it. They'll show a clip oftentimes less than a second uh, of a rocket getting shot. If it's more than a second, it's only barely that, right? Quick cuts between, you know, guys saying, yeah, shoot a rocket, off it goes. It's all fake. It's obviously fake to me, right? And it's been obviously fake for a couple of generations since before I was born. And yet the masses are completely oblivious. They will remain completely oblivious. And even people who claim that they're awake or think that they're awake, I know the truth. I've discovered the truth. Me and a whole bunch of YouTubers, we know the truth. They still believe in these rockets. They still believe in intercontinental ballistic missiles. Many of them apparently still believe in nuclear bombs. It's like even when people think they're awake, oftentimes they are the most asleep. And so I'm no longer convinced that the people who run the show are trying to hide the truth from us. I think they're putting it right in our faces and they're saying, read the book, think for yourself. If you don't want to, if you don't want to look at what we're giving you and think for yourself, fine. We'll keep lying to you on the news. You'll keep getting scared. You'll keep giving us more of your monies and following more of our rules and we'll run the show because you're not going to stop us. I think, I think that that may be what's going on, Tom, is they're not hiding the truth from us. They're telling us the truth and most of us just refuse to listen. Yeah, it almost feels like in the movie The Matrix how they they built up civilization six times and just by giving people the same um, scenario, they could predict how people would react. And it's like, it almost feels like it, it is. It's like a big joke. Like it, it, they've got our reactions so well. Um, they've, got, they've got like our thought patterns so well um worked out they, they can predict anything we're doing and we're like we're we're no threat i think really the the only threat you become 
is when you really you start taking action like locally whether it's just like even like you know growing your garden like or actually going out to see your neighbors which like a lot of these people on these google hangouts seem like they do really want more community but they just spent you know instead of going out and meeting their neighbors and firing up the barbecue and talking about these issues with them like how can we change it what can we do they're just like playing music and playing video games and just waiting for someone to come in and talk about flat earth with them you know and, and i'm like I, I i'm seeing a lot of people losing friends too just someone posted uh like a couple weeks ago on uh, the globebusters facebook page uh this uh, this is something i want to bring up to you a woman says you know i've uh, lost two of my really good friends 25 and 15 years in as many days because I subscribe to a different point of view, the shape of the earth. Although I feel like I've been hit by a Mack truck and I'm emotionally reeling, I will not budge what I know to be the truth. And most people who comment, commented back to her, it was like, you know, they're not your real friends. And those are your real friends. Like those are the people who are gonna be there for you when you're sick. Like Bob from Globebusters isn't gonna bring you chicken noodle soup if you have a cold or if you broke your leg, he's not gonna come over and help you, but these two friends might. So, you know, it's, it's almost worth it to, to just, you know, to have your persona on YouTube and maybe not, you know, discuss it so much with your family, family members and friends because those relationships are a lot more important than keeping a YouTube relationship. Yeah, that's really well said. And this is something that I've been focusing on with a lot of my content lately is pointing out to people that even if you feel you've discovered the truth, right? Let's just say for argument's sake, whatever you think is the truth is 100% true and everybody else is wrong. So what? You are going to have to live with the people around you, with your housemates, uh, with your neighbors. You're going to have family and friends and it will not be important to them even if you think it should be important, even if you think this is the most important thing, they think other things are the most important thing. They think that their job is the most important thing. They think that staying out of trouble with the police is the most important thing. They, they think that uh, making sure their children are vaccinated and healthy is the most important thing. Whatever they believe, to them, that's the most important thing. Just like to you, the truth or whatever you think is the truth is the most important thing. So rather than butting heads with people who are important in your life, why not try and understand why they are the way they are, understand there's only so much you can do about it, and still try and have healthy, fulfilling relationships with these people. And I see so many people on YouTube now saying, you should come out and tell people about this. You should come out and tell people about that. Basically encouraging their listeners to ostracize themselves from their real life relationships. Now, if somebody ostracizes themselves from their real life relationships, that just makes them even more dependent on the YouTubers who are giving them their supposed truth. So there's an obvious like conflict of interest here, isn't there? When someone says to you on YouTube, I've got the truth, guys, and you should go and tell your friends and family. The friends and family won't care. They'll think you're crazy. Well, guess what? You've got to come back to the YouTuber, don't you? So Tom, I'm so glad that you've brought this up. It's like people's real relationships even with people who disagree with you about the shape of the earth or is NASA real or whatever, they're real people and that's a real relationship and it's probably far more important to you over the course of your life than some turkey on YouTube who you hang out with in Google Hangouts 
When really, I mean, even this chat that we're having right now, Tom, I am in a room all by myself, right? It feels like I'm talking to you and it feels like there's an audience listening because of the live chat. But ultimately, I'm all by myself here, right? And you're all by yourself where you are and most of the people in the live chat, they're entirely alone in their room. This is not real in the same way that when you go to see your uh, parents on the weekend or you hang out with your brother uh, or play some cricket with, some, with your teammates. Those are real relationships. There's such a big difference between the two and I see lots of people, they're throwing away the real relationships of real life for the fake relationships on YouTube. I see it every day. No, you know, I think if you ask a lot of these people too, would they take uh, like a brain chip? Would they be plugged into a matrix? They are probably a lot of them would say no, but they don't realize they're really already plugged into the system for you know quite a bit of their lives. Like I'm sure they go to work and then they come home. Like you see some of these same characters on in every hangout. You just you start to wonder like how much of their lives lives they really spend dedicated to this. You know, and like what what are their real life relationships like? Yeah, that's a good analogy. Like if you, like you said, if you were to offer these people uh, a chance in the matrix, they can go and live in one of the little pods and be part of an online world. Would they take that? And and like you'll be fed, you'll be nourished by the system. You'll get to live in the in the matrix reality, and you'll have a lot of fun. Uh, and most people would say, no, no way would I do that. You know, I'm living a real life. But then you look at what their real life is. It is entirely virtual and online anyhow. Or if it's not entirely virtual. It's practically entirely virtual. And that's just looking at the social side of YouTube. That's without considering that the people who work jobs for fiat money, most of that money isn't actually currency. It's literally uh, data, ones that binary data, ones and zeros on a bank balance. You know what I mean? Like put, it, put aside the fact that, that fiat currency isn't you know, real in the sense that it doesn't represent uh, value of tangible goods necessarily. But look at the fact that most people, even if they've got $5,000 in their bank account, it's not 5,000 real dollars. It's a five and, and three zeros that they see when they log into their online banking or that the ATM says when they go to the bank, right? So their, their real life consists of working a job that most of them don't actually like to get ones and zeros on a screen. Then they spend their social time with other people who are ones and zeros on a screen, digital data, these kinds of hangouts, etc. They're already living in the matrix. Yeah, exactly. Believing evidence based on just ones and zeros, you know, Xbox computer games pretty much. And it's like, it's a flat earth proof all of a sudden. You know? Yeah, well, you know what? I feel like we've gotten onto the more important topics of this chat towards the end. So uh, I've learned my lesson with that one. We'll have to do this again some other time in the future and we'll pick it up where we left off because what we're talking about here is almost like the existential nature of, uh, of the modern world. 2016, what we're talking about is a human experience uh, at this time in what we call history. And to me, that's every bit as fascinating as the sociology and psychology of Flat Earth. But we've come to the end of the show. We do need to wrap it up. So just recapping, we've given an introduction of who you are, Tom, and how you got into all of this. You know, years and years ago, you were into Alex Jones. You kind of uh, got pushed away by him and his shtick, which happens to a lot of people. One day you're listening to Coast to Coast, you hear Mark Sargent's Flat Earth Clues, leads you to go and look into things a little bit further. Next thing you know, Patricia Steer comes on the scene. You uh, maybe identify as a, as a Flat Earther to an extent for, for a period there, but eventually you realize that there's something weird going on with these people and the people that they're interviewing. 
Fast forward to the last couple of months, you release As the Potato Turns, which, uh, from what I can tell, everybody thinks is hysterically funny. Even people who are loyal to the Potato Crew are finding that show really funny. I certainly did, and I'm thankful for the time that you put into producing that show. Again, I'll provide links in the show notes for people who are listening on the archive. You do need to go and check that out. And then once we've got all of that out of the way, we've just been talking about this this flat earth scene, which has taken up a lot of our attention, uh, not just you and me, but many people in the audience over the last year or two. And we've finished off getting into some more, I guess, existential questions about what it is to, to live in the world today. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with for episode one of Metafay? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I see, like I said, I do pop my head into these hangouts sometimes and like, you'll see Flat Earth, like Flat Earth Math seems like a really nice guy. And, you know, I'm not saying this in any way to, to like offend him, but you'll see him in a hangout for eight hours debating with these flat earthers, whether it's round or flat, and you can see his kid popping his head over his dad's shoulder, kind of wanting to have that like interaction with him, like, spend some time with him. And I think like especially towards Christmas, you know, like put the YouTube away and just go spend some time with your family. Even like uh, I made a video with my son just. Uh, uh, for, for kids, like I, I involved him in a production, and like it, like I didn't I didn't put his face on camera or anything. It's like I agree with you, but like we did something creative together. That you know, if you really like YouTube and you like making videos, like involve your kids somehow and make something fun with them, or you know, go visit your mom and dad, or just do something with your family. Because like I think that's what the system, that's what they're really afraid of. Is just like us ignoring them altogether and if we just like shut them off and stop listening to them and just do our own thing we can create find like actually create something new and hangouts could be a, a positive thing like mean you could get together talk uh every month and try and uh figure out where we're going where we've progressed and you know what's worked for you and then go apply it in the real world but spending every day on youtube like, you're not moving anywhere I uh, agree completely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tom. Make sure you stick around. I'll uh, end the broadcast, but just stick around. We'll have a, a quick decompression session uh, once we end the broadcast. But a huge thanks to you for taking part in the show. I uh, do, again, uh, apologize that it took us a little bit of time to get it all organized, but we got it all uh, done, didn't we, over the last couple of, week, uh, last couple of days, over the weekend? And oh, yeah, I'm glad with how it's all turned out. So um, I'm very appreciative of you uh, making yourself available on relatively late notice but I think it's been a terrific show. And uh, a big thanks to all of the people in the live chat. There has been one or two trolls, which is very much normal for this scene, but uh, nobody got hurt. They're just words on a screen. It's not a really big deal. And I do appreciate those of you taking the time to take part in the live chat. For future episodes, I might make more of an effort to read out the comments. But when there's just two people talking, it can be difficult to monitor the chat and uh, read out the comments at the same time. But we'll wrap it up there on uh, the 12th of December Australian time, 11th of December uh, US time. Uh, for episode one of Meta Fay, of course, there were three pilot episodes, which you can go back and check out. But as far as the official season is concerned, this is the first episode. I am hoping to do more of these going forward. But of course, I am very busy with the dinosaur documentary coming up uh, very, very soon, very shortly. I fly back to Queensland in a couple of days. And then we get straight into pre-production, uh, full-on pre-production for the Dinosaur Documentary. So for more information about that and everything else that I do, just check out johnlebon.com. That's J-O-H-N 
L-E-B-O-N.com. All the information is there, as well as a whole bunch of content that you will not see on my YouTube channel. Go and check that out. But let's wrap this one up. Metafay, episode one, 12th of December, 2016. Thank you for watching. And until next time, take care of yourselves.